Hey there, welcome back to Link the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. Mark Robinson is away on assignment yet again, but fear not because I have my other two co-hosts with me. First, he is the Roman Reigns of audio. I haven't used that one in a while. Jack Lazell, how are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm promising no impressions this week. I'm I'm making the commitment early. Oh, well, that's that's everyone's tuning out already. Yeah, uh, I I see. All right, I'll save one in the quiver. Um, <laughs> Good I think, stuff. Is is impressions right? This is this is what I was I was having this chat with somebody at work. Funnily enough, because I was like, oh, I did this really stupid Mark Wahlberg impression um, uh, on on the show last week, and I said impressions seem to only be funny if they're amazing or yeah. really shit. Anything yeah. that's like halfway there. It's just it's like there's no reaction to that, right? Because you're yeah. kind of like, eh, what are you gonna do? You'd rather it be tragic or just yeah. really good. It's a shame he is away on assignment because one of my favorite things when he lived with me was the the <laughs> the person I used to describe as Mark Robinson, master of accents. Oh yeah, I mean, where like every single one of them was appalling. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, he has got an extremely tin ear for like mimicry. It was it was definitely never. <laughs> but it was too. good because like. He, he the the accents were so bad he was getting much bigger pops out of me and the lads in the house than he would have if he was bang on with them. That's precisely my point, right? You you either yeah. just be really um ungodly terrible yeah. or you you smash it. I feel like it, it was, he was very much in the neighborhood of like Joey Tribbiani trying to do a southern accent <laughs> and then coming out Jamaican. Yeah. Or, or or French and just not being able to speak it, right? Yeah. But do you feel like the art of the impressionist is kind of dying away a little bit? Mm. Yeah, I I wonder is it like partly because of like the advent of social media because impressions and things like that are really good self-contained short bits. Yeah. Like they're perfect for a like a vine as it were um or social media <laughs> medium. I'd go with a TikTok these days, Dave. Yeah, TikTok. But like that's where do you know like lots of people who were on vine in the day in the day were doing impressions and and, and shit like that and like that guy what's his name austin the guy who's on snl now who got big because he was doing trump impressions on twitter who like oh, it's the most yeah. bang on trump like i've ever heard yeah they still hired someone from outside the cast to play trump but i guess yeah. it's if it's alec baldwin that's kind of completely acceptable really yeah, isn't yeah. it but well, remember- to be fair i think he's only been on board this season this guy I I remember like back in the sort of like late nineties, early two thousands, you'd still get like impressionists on TV, like Rory Bremner, mm. a notable impressionist who would always be on t- like TV, just doing impressions of people. I just it, it, that is, I can't remember the last time I saw a comedian who was kind of re- relying solely on their impressionability. Mm. It just doesn't uh, happen. Joining us as well, of course, he is the nexus of humanity, Garrett Kidney. Garrett, how are you? I did a tremendous New Jersey accent this week on a podcast. Which oh. just sounded entirely like Joey Wheeler from Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> wow. So instead of doing New Jersey, it's like, hey, I'm Joey Wheeler. <laughs> it's, I was going to ask for it, but yeah, that is that is something right there. That's primo. Yep. That's, just, that's just a premium slice of impressioning gold. Like, that's... <laughs> We do. I we still have shit. some pretty notable impressionists in Ireland because always like Mario Rosenstock is the big one who's been around forever and ever doing impressions yeah. in Ireland, and Oliver Callan does all like the political Im- impressions and all that political yeah. satire. So we, we still have some of it over here. It yeah. sounds like the guy that's been around forever doing it like 
that's the sort of thing that you would have had to have that level of cachet from it was, establishing yeah, yourself that it, many years ago, right? It was like as long back as when I was on car journeys to school, like his uh, like comedy segment on the radio, Gift Grub, was like mandatory listening. I remember um, some random Irish audio of an Irish guy doing a Jose Mourinho impression yeah, from the radio yeah, back in the day. Yeah, was that him? That was him. That was him. I see, Jose yeah. and his amazing technical art overcoat, a tremendous song. Yeah. It is, yeah, yeah really genius. Um, I, um, was like, yeah. I must forward you on. He did one as well. The one that was uh, iconic growing up was the one uh, of Sir Alex in the dressing room right after the boot incident with Beckham. <laughs> and it's just him going in at halftime in the Champions League and unmercifully beating the shit out of the entire team. Oh, wow. Amazing. It's great. It's I, great. Um, I think my maybe, like, maybe my favourite modern impressionist is probably Taron Killam. Like he is yeah. very, very, very good. My favorite thing he did was um, the skit on uh, Saturday Night Live where Jim Carrey was on promoting Dumb and Dumber Two, and they just had a whole like fleet of people doing Jim Carrey impressions, and he mm. was the first one on, and it was so unbelievably spot on nineties Jim Carrey that I was just like, well, why, why is anyone else on after this? Like he, he just could not have nailed it. And there was a moment where Jim Carrey almost broke because of how shocked he was at Taron Killam's <laughs> impression of him. So yeah, would recommend digging. I suppose. Out. Oh, that's that's I I guess like you know we're in the, that SNL territory talking now, but Bill Hader. Oh yes, fantastic. That that um I love the sketch of. Andy Samberg um, saying, "I want to be the guy who's done the most impressions on the SNL," and then and, and then Bill had it coming out and doing like two more just to take himself back over and regain his title. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, Barry, by the way, is coming back, and I don't mean Barry of this parish who does our wonderful game of the <laughs> well, year. Program. I'm sure is technically coming back at some stage. Oh, he comes back on Twitch every Wednesday and Thursday. The Barry yeah. lad um, just chucking a bit of promotion in there for him. But he's um, gonna need to start sending us a bit of coin at this stage. But I think Barry is the show, and I'm sure Dave has one of these for me. And um, because of our kind of reciprocal enjoyment of media, Barry is the one show that I want Dave to watch. Think more than anything else, because I just know how much he'll love it and i yeah. think when it comes back i would love you to jump back into barry yeah it's i think i've got one show maybe two shows that i need to get to and mm. then that's the last one before i feel like i've caught up on all the you should really watch that stuff yeah it, it's really um, good garrett have you ever seen barry no it actually it was one of those while i was looking for a new show to watch i was like oh barry but i didn't so i just disappointed you really yeah it, it's not a disappointment at all because it's quite niche, I think, to people that are kind of outside the uh, North American peninsula, really, because it, it wasn't really on TV in this country, um, and, and it didn't really make its way into Europe particularly, and, you know, I found a completely legal way to watch it, and I'll argue to the nth degree that, that it was very legal how I watched it, um, uh, and, yeah, I just I fell in love with it because I'm such a big Bill Hedder fan, and it's such a massive departure mm. from the sort of stuff that he normally does. And it's like all of the wacky sort of out of control elements of the show are in and around Bill Hedder. And he just has this extremely strong stoic performance as the lead of the show. And yeah, it's a very, very high recommend for anyone that hasn't seen it. Gentlemen, I am going to uh, surprise you guys with Ooh. something we haven't done in a long time. And that is an impromptu segment. Oh, no. I love um, it. This week marked the 30th anniversary of Homer at the Bat, oh. the softball episode of The Simpsons. Um, which like prompted a lot of like, I just went straight back into that season. So literally before I came up here, when I was eating my dinner, I was watching Camp Krusty. 
Yeah. Um, oh, so I'm, I'm back on the, the classic Simpsons bandwagon now for a while, I think. So what I've decided to do is give you boys uh, a Simpsons quiz to work on. Oh, God. Oh, right. God. I will so do very I, badly at this. So what I've done is... I've, are, are you a big Simpsons guy, Garrett? Or You see, obviously when I was a wee lad, I would have watched an absolute shitload of it. But yeah. I've never revisited any of the good stuff. So, like, oh. when I see Simpsons cultural references, I'm like, I get the reference, but I don't have, like, the ingrained memory of, like, all the quotes. Like, you see some people that do okay. it. I'm always very, like, oh, my Simpsons fandom is very, very lacking compared to a lot of people. So th- this is what I was going to say is that so we've got t- I've got two quizzes potentially on deck here. Both of them proclaim themselves to be hard Simpsons quizzes, but just at a scan, one of them is actually a bit challenging and one of them is kind of I would co- now this is based on my level of Simpsons rewatching consider there to be a good few softballs in it. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a good joke with the you know, homework the bat yeah. introduction there. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. done. Talking softball. Um <laughs> So the, the harder one of the two is 10 questions. The not so hard one is 15. We can do both or you could pick one. Uh, should we do the should we do the intermediate one? I think okay. just given what Garrett said and, you know, you okay. know, you know how ruthlessly competitive I am, Dave. I, I would yeah. obviously want to do the hard one and then absolutely pull back Garrett's pants down. Um, but uh, obviously, that, that, thank well, you for do taking you pity on me, Jack. <laughs> As the one who'll be challenged most by it, do you want to do a thing where like Garrett tries to answer and you can come in and bat clean up if he's stuck? Yeah, OK. There was I did the episode of Five Star Match Game, which is a wrestling quiz podcast. A great wrestling quiz podcast. Yeah, but I I was on for the TNA episode, but I was considered too good for the episode, so I was just like a a, a nice adjudicator there to help out. So th- <laughs> uh, I, I feel like this is the the flip of that role where it's like oh Jack just knows too much, and then Garrett's just here being taken pity on by the master. This is, I don't know if you heard any of our quiz episodes before you were on board, Garrett, but like uh, to say Jack takes quizzes seriously <laughs> is uh, putting it fucking mildly now, to say the least. What really hurts me in general, right? Okay. <laughs> losing. <laughs> yeah, it's the fact that I am so competitive and so bad at so many things. <laughs> yeah, I am actually... Sword, isn't it? pretty reasonable at quizzes you know yeah. uh, the last and a pretty reasonable person generally but like when a quiz starts it's all out our oh, civility is tossed asunder like it's... yeah i mean you challenge my love of the rock or my ability on quizzes and i will yeah. fuck you up now this quiz both of these are from irish websites because i wanted to bury them for not having hard enough quizzes if we just breeze through it uh, this one's from the daily edge and um it's multiple choice um, so here we go. It's it's only seasons one to ten applicable in this, okay? So number one. What is Homer's mother's name? Is it Muriel, Martha, Mona, or Maud? Oh god, I think it's Mona, isn't it Mona? I can confirm, Garrett, that you are. Absolutely correct. Oh, thank God. I, w- yeah. I wouldn't have gotten that without the options. See, that, that is like the level of my Simpsons knowledge where it's like, I, mm. I, I need I also, the memory triggers. I also yeah. would have accepted Muddy May Suggins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which of the following actors has never appeared as a guest voice on the oh, show? Oh, no, I'm fucked. <laughs> Martin Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Meryl Streep. Winona Ryder. 
I feel like Charlie Sheen is one of those who definitely has. I don't know. Um, I feel like Martin Sheen is least likely to, so I'm going to guess Martin Sheen. I think it's Charlie Sheen. Okay. Well, I can reveal, because I knew offhand, I know it's not Martin Sheen, because Martin Sheen played the real Seymour Skinner. Yeah. In the Armin Tamzarian episode. Uh, Winona Ryder was like a friend of Lisa's. Um, what and and then Charlie Sheen? But then what was the other option than Charlie Sheen? Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. I feel like Meryl. She Streep plays herself in it. Has been she? on it, yeah. Because yeah. they cut to Meryl Streep unless it was someone doing they, a Meryl Streep impression. That's yeah. that's the only worry for me. So, question three: What was the name of the restaurant where Homer oh. was poisoned? Was I right, by the way? Oh yeah, it was Charlie Sheen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was the one I said I think is most likely to be there. Oh yeah, fine, don't worry, but it's all right. If it's everything's fine. Okay, yeah, cool. Question three: What was the name of the restaurant where Homer was poisoned in season two? Was it? Uh, I just, I just love Simpsons names for shops and restaurants and stuff. Was it Up Up and Buffet? Was it the Happy Sumo? Was it Sushi of the Sea? Or was it Taj Mahal? You can eat. That was some good puns right there, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. The third one. Sushi of the sea. What say you, Jack? It's the happy sumo. It is, in fact, the happy sumo. Yep. Yep. And the host is called Akira, if I believe, and he's yep. played by George Takei of Star yep. Trek fame. At this stage, I'm just rooting for Jack to get one wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I, I'm being too much of an arsehole. I'm dialing down. No, 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 it's not. not. It's good. It's good. I'm sure I'm cutting to you to answer it. I'm just building you up as the villain to build sympathy on myself yeah. for being bad. Don't no, worry about 100%, 100%, you know, I, I did the same thing with Psychonauts 2, which is a game I know I'll play and enjoy at some point. So, yeah. Uh, number four, what is the name of Chief Wiggum's wife? <laughs> Laura, Sarah, Rachel, or Mandy? I have no idea. Uh, Mandy, Mandy Wiggum, Laura Wiggum, Sarah Wiggum, or what was the other one? Or Ra- Rachel. Rachel Wiggum. I'm gonna go Laura Wiggum. It's Laura. Laura. Yes, I, I just decided to make up a name. It's not even. That's that's my. I'm galaxy. going to go with Mora. That's my galaxy brain approach. This quiz. Just <laughs> it's only one letter away from Mona. Um, Garrett's like yeah. playing Wordle here. No, it is in fact Sarah Wiggum, and she goes yeah. Clancy quite a lot when she's annoyed at Chief Wiggum. In what a lot of people say is the greatest episode of all time, Hank Scorpio gets Homer to decide which country he likes the least so he can destroy it. What were his options? Italy and Germany, Germany and France, Italy and France, Spain and Italy. Those are all the same countries multiple times. That's unfair. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I actually, the, I actually I, think I, I don't know the answer to this one. Yeah. There's a reason one of them is in here multiple times. It's because the line he says afterwards is the one everyone remembers. Germany and France. It's, uh, it's in fact... Italy and France, France. because yeah. he says that would have Homer, been my Homer says uh, France and he goes ha no one ever says Italy yep <laughs> um, this one is like I, I wouldn't expect you to get this this is where it, it, it actually is uh, if you're not a Simpsons obsessive you probably wouldn't know this for those keeping track um, I've still only gotten one correct so <laughs> which proposed law would see a poo and other immigrants deported from Spring, Springfield proposition 21 22 24 or 28 that's like that's unnecessarily difficult for you I would imagine 21 sounds better 
I think it's prop 24. It is no on 24. Yep. Sorry, Garrett. Now I'm rooting against myself. Fine, it's... This, one, this one, even for me, is a blind guess. Um, which Paul McCartney song can you hear play backwards to hear a, re- a recipe for, for a really, really ripping lentil, lentil soup? soup? Yeah. yeah. Is it Band on the Run, Live and Let Die, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, or Maybe I'm Amazed? This is in the episode Lisa the Vegetarian. Where he meets Paul and Linda McCartney, and he says, "If you listen to this backwards, you can get recipe for a really ripping lentil soup." Yep. And there's a beautiful, like, what we find out is that there's like a beautiful overgrown garden on the roof of the Quickie Mart that yeah. apparently Linda McCartney and Paul McCartney hang out with Apu on. Yeah. I'm just not gonna guess. I'm just gonna leave it there. Um, okay. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Band Club Band Club Band even Band because it has Pepper in it. it Lisa. It, it, What's it your is, guess, Jack? It is, maybe I'm amazed at the way you love me all the time. It is. All right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Name the character who actually happens to be in Moe's Tavern when uh, Bart attempts a prank call for someone with the same name. Is it, <laughs> is it Mike Roch? Is it Seymour Butts? Is it Hugh Jass? Or is it Jacques Strap? <laughs> Jacques Strap. <laughs> <laughs> I no, it's, it's a, hello this is huge ass <laughs> sir like, i'm gonna be honest this is a prank call that went awry and i'd like to bail out yeah and he goes oh <laughs> no problem nice young man what a nice young fella <laughs> uh when oh, the like. family go to new york what is the name of the musical they go to see is it kicking it a musical journey through the betty ford center or i'm checking in a musical journey through the betty ford center I'm checking in. <laughs> yes, Garrett. Yes. I'm checking in. I'm going to claim that was entirely knowledge and nothing else. Well, I am sorry to say that you're wrong. Damn. Uh, that is the name of the song, but the musical is called Kicking It. Oh, is it really? Yeah. I definitely, I feel like you would have got that wrong as well, Dave. No, I knew that one. Did you? I definitely oh, knew that one. Yeah. Jack, that one. This is going badly enough without you giving me false hope. <laughs> <laughs> but now, I now really Jack has gotten one wrong too. Yeah, there you go. I got that wrong. I genuinely, yeah, I'm disappointed in myself. I, I, I would never have remembered that because, like, no one. I, I don't think the sign is memorable. The song is memorable as fuck. Right? It's such a good song. Um, so yeah the, um, one of the things as well I think about early seasons of The Simpsons that you just don't get in the modern ones is how fucking like if they had to write like a one-off song for an episode that plays for like 20 seconds how much effort yeah. would go into that absolutely ripped yeah oh every um, time question 10 what name does Millhouse attempt to enter when playing the Bone Storm video game is it Killhouse Illhouse Thrillhouse or Millpool Kill House sounds most like a kid trying to be cool, so Kill House. It oh, is, in fact, it's Thrill close. House. It's close because but it it's was, not even Thrill House. It's actually it's Thrill House. Char- yeah, it was too many characters, so he enters Thrill Ho. <laughs> Means technically the question's wrong. I think that one should be thrown out. That was that one. I thought there was a chance you might have gotten because I see the Thrill Ho like meme loads yeah. of places. It's so. Um, this one, is, again, is one that I don't think in a million years that I would expect you to get, Garrett, but you might surprise <laughs> Thank me. Thank you. Well, given I've gotten uh, nearly all of them wrong, you could probably say that about most questions, to be fair. Yeah. Um, what is the name of the Australian boy that Bart prank calls? Is it Ethan, 
Tobias, Bruno, or Russell? Ethan. Oh. <laughs> Tobias! <Yeah. laughs> uh, Did you accept a nine hundred dollar be... collect call from Springfield? <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. That was <laughs> it was Bart Simpson from the Springfield Trackage Committee. My favourite episode of all time, and it's like not even close. I'm not saying it's the best episode, it's just my favourite, and I can't explain why. I love everything about that episode. This yeah. might be one for... Actually, no, Jack will probably get this one. Um, what Scottish town is groundskeeper Willie from? Is it Kilt Town, North Kilt Town, Loch Ness, or South Kilt Town? Oh, oh good. There's very distinct <laughs> difference. Yeah. Suge- just because it's the one that's not Kilt Town, I'm going to say Loch Ness. It's going to be one of the I Kilt th- Towns, isn't it? I, th- I think it's North Kilt Town. It is North Damn. Kilt Town. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, question 13 What is the name of Gabo's puppeteer? Is it Llewellyn Sinclair Alfred E. Newman Hollis Hurlbut Or Arthur Crandall? I don't know <laughs> Llewellyn Sinclair You're you're, uh, you're nearly out of your misery now <laughs> it's, Ar- it's Arthur oh, Crandall Thank you yeah. This is much better I think this is much better than if I had just done the really hard one <laughs> And Jack was stumped as well what did Martin serve up as his birthday party that made everyone ill? Was it tobacco, oysters, clams, or malk? Oysters. It is oysters. It is, in fact, oysters. I knew that one. There's, one, there's two I have known, and I've managed to not blind guess any of the other ones. <laughs> Which... <laughs> I, I, this is my favourite to finish it off which of these fimber, the, which of these films would you not remember Troy McClure from The Erotic Adventures of Hercules The Boat Jacking of Super Ship 79 The School of Hard Knockers or Dial M for Murderousness <laughs> <laughs> The Boat Jacking one The Boat Jacking one's definitely wrong I am afraid it's the school of hard knockers. Oh, is because it? That that is in the Simpsons, but Troy McClure isn't in it. Oh, because I, I I have seen that. Di- like Dial M for murderousness is my favorite of the. Uh, sorry, the the one out of all of them I can hear in the Troy McClure voice straight away is the erotic adventures of Hercules. Yeah, that, that was the first <laughs> the one. I was like, ah, oh, that's a Simpsons of one. Hercules. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen, apart from the Simpsons, what have we been watching <laughs> this week? Look at that! What a woof. Uh, let's go to you first, Garrett. I'm gonna take a giant swing in the mood because I've been watching Mass, which is. I was just like, did you just go to Mass? Yeah, I was like, oh, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It was <laughs> my first confession since probably I was twelve. No, um, it's uh, a movie directed by Frank Kranz. His first directorial feature. He was in a bunch of like Joss Whedon things. He was in Dollhouse. He was in Cabin in the Woods. He was in Much Ado About Nothing. But it, it's a, a movie. That is deeply harrowing and deeply difficult to watch in many different ways. It's a movie about two families, one of whom are the parents of a school shooter, and uh, one set are the victims of a school shooter who are coming together to meet, and that's basically the entire film. The entire film is them sitting in a room talking to each other. So it stars Martha Plimpton and Dowd, Jason Isaacs, and Reed Burney, and they carry like pretty much the entire film. There's little like bits, uh, it's kind of wrapped at the start and the end with some more characters as well, but the, the bones of the... <sighs> 100 minute runtime or so it was just the two of them and it's a it's a difficult it's a harrowing movie to watch 
it's like I'm not a, someone who can say you can't make a film about anything, but if you're going to make a film about school shootings, you better make a damn good one. And like yeah. I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre this week, and like part part yeah. of what rubbed me the wrong way in that movie is like one of the characters has a character trait of being like the survivor of a school shooting. And when yeah. you add that to the layer of goofy nonsense that is the rest of that movie, I'm like, that that yeah. feels on the edge of exploitative to me. Yeah, the, the two things I didn't like about the Texas Chainsaw, so, like, I quite enjoyed the, the Netflix Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, way more than I thought. But the two things I didn't like were, one, yeah, that character being, like, her thing was she was a survivor of a school shooter, and that film did not in any way earn no. that. You know what I mean? Um, And then the other thing was that, like, the cast... Like, the other kind of three, I, I don't know if you'd even call them protagonists, but the, the main victims, shall we say, are, like, yuppie influencer types. And there is no way to turn Leatherface babyface more than to have them just as the most, like, grotesque caricatures of people like that that you're kind of just rooting for the killer now. Which, like, that has um, to be by design as well, though, doesn't it? Like, you can't be like, you can't yeah. put that kind of character in your movie and not be like, you want yeah. to root for the killer to hack them into on their stupid influencer yeah. boss that they're locked on. Look, do you know what? The, the kills in that movie were fucking gnarly, and I really love the score. Um, so, like, from a slasher movie, if it's got those two things, I'm going to enjoy it a bit. Yeah. So it's weird that the two things I've watched this week have the, that school shooter through line in a way, in very, very different ways. But yeah, like this movie is absolutely heartbreaking. Like there's two very good central performances from Martha Plimpton and Anne Dowd. And I only really know Martha Plimpton from doing like either comedy or just like standard like TV roles because she's in Raising Hope, a show I, I have a lot of time for. I liked Raising Hope a lot. Where her and Garrett Dillahunt are, are very good as the parents on that show, as, as sitcom parents. They're very enjoyable. And she was in an episode of Fringe where she was just this local detective. They did like a, a one-off X-Files kind of parody episode where they just solved a mystery and she was just the local detective in that episode. Also very good. I, I forgot that you were a fellow uh, enjoyer of Fringe. Yes, Fringe. Very good show. I think the week when we talked about Garrett's love of Fringe, Dave, was a week you weren't here. Yeah, I only heard it, like, at home listening to it after. I was like, oh, we could have had a Fringe love in. Furious you couldn't jump into the conversation on that. Yeah, but yeah. there's that episode of Fringe where her and Peter go off and solve a mystery in just, like, a, a kind of non-sequitur episode born anything else, and she's very good in that. And to see her do, like, a, a serious dramatic role as the mother of a, a, a child who was killed in a school shooting... She's so good in this movie. And then Anne Dowd on the flip side of that, playing the mother of the school shooter. Like, the, the, to play that from all of the angles of, like, the betrayal of it, the heartbreak of it, the fact that it's your child, and, like, the guilt of it, of, like, how did I go wrong? And uh, that caused this to happen. But then the conflicting feelings of that, of it's still my child. I still have feelings of love for my child, even though he did something horrible and monstrous. So to see that performance yeah. played from all those different angles, and there, there's moments where she's very kind in the movie toward Martha Plimpton's character in both a way that feels sincere and a way that feels a little self-serving. It's like there, there's so much going on. The fact that neither Plimpton or Dowd were nominated for, for Oscars for this movie absolutely stuns me because they're both very good in it and they're very good in a very awardsy way that like you would have thought the the awards would have eaten this thing up but they didn't but it's it's a really good movie it's a really difficult watch like i was like i bought pizza on sunday night and i was like i'm gonna watch a movie and i'm like i don't know what i want to watch and like this is the furthest thing from a pizza movie <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. listen it's the thing i was like i've been wanting to watch this for a while now and it, i would highly highly recommend it that's it, it's very much it, it feels like it had roots in a play 
just based on how like sparsely it's said it's just four people in a room for the most part yeah it, it it's interesting like uh, like it's not if i was a writer director a topic i would eagerly want to because like you said like you really need to make a good one like i remember in 2003 when gus van zandt made elephant remember that movie that was like it was debate like it it was kind of like um his movie last days as well where it was like it was based on columbine but it wasn't set in columbine kind of thing like last days was based on kurt cobain but it wasn't kurt cobain um i remember that being like bang average (laughs) just like wow it was only what 2003 was like four years after columbine ish um so it's like oh you really needed a bigger hit there you really needed to tackle that better than you did um but you have me interested in watching this as harrowing as it might be it might be one that i dovetail with a nice light movie to watch afterwards to feel better you will need something to cleanse after this but like it's it's a really really good really interesting movie as i said like films should reflect back a culture of our time and part of that in very very unfortunately are school shootings but to actually make a, a, a movie about school shootings, I think, is extremely difficult because, like, no one wants to like experience the, the you, you don't want to depict a school shooting. I don't think anybody wants to actually witness that, and I, I, they they avoid all that. They just focus on characters and the aftermath, which I think is uh, about the only way you can do this without seeing seeming exploitative. And yeah, I think this is a really good movie with, like I said, really good performances from Martha Plimpton and Out. They're so good in this movie. Mm. Um, Jack, what about you? So I watched a documentary. I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but someone mentioned um, that they, they made a documentary on this, and I just immediately thought, I have not thought about the subject in so long, and it is exactly the sort of thing that I really want to see a HBO documentary on, and lo and behold, it, it lined up perfectly. But I watched Beanie Mania, which is about the rise and then hard, hard fall of the Beanie Baby craze of the late 90s and early 2000s. And let me tell you, it was a good old time, lads. I, there, I, was, I, there was like two separate crazes, wasn't there? There was like, they were huge, then they went away for a little while, then they were huge again. Am I um, right thinking that? Not, not really. It, oh. it sort of had like a... It, it sort of had like a sustained, um, like, America... Mi- particularly Midwestern America centric craze. And then it just propelled into being a massive worldwide craze with, within like a year, basically. Um, So it kind of starts off and it follows um, citizens of a town called Naperville, which is near Chicago. Um, And basically Ty uh, Warner, who not time Warner, I would say, but Ty Warner is the man who created Beanie Babies. That's another thing that I learned. I I I always thought T. I thought the the kind of tie on the Beanie Baby logo was T Y, and like the name of the company was called like I don't know Toy Years or something. I don't know. Um, but then I realized it's like oh no, Ty actually is a guy, um, and it's this guy Ty Warner, um, and he worked for a local toy company and had ideas to make these like plush toys, and they basically the company he worked for was like, no, waste of money. So he just buggered off and did his own thing. And then for like a year or so, no one cared. Um, these things were just out there. 
You know, they were having to go from place to place. Apparently, one of the, the things that he did in the early days was he would turn up to uh, stores dressed in a long fur overcoat with a top hat, apparently pretending to be some sort of Willy Wonka-esque figure to try and hawk these beanie babies wow. to people. you do that now. You're yeah, I was going to gonna say, that, that, is, that is right up there in creep behavior. <laughs> yep. Well, generally, I... I in could... that moment, did you think this documentary was going another way? <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I very much did. Um, but him, him going from store to store, kind of hawking these Beanie Babies. And then, kind of gradually, parents got into them. And, like, there was a shot of the Beanie Baby warehouse uh, after the first year. And there was just, like, boxes upon boxes upon boxes of shit just piled up. And what initially kind of sparked the interest in the craze was the fact that because this is ever so slightly pre-internet, it was like really early trappings of the internet. So kind of similar in line with me watching Pam and Tommy, which by the way, continues to be excellent and and a high recommend from me when it finishes to go and binge through. Um, There was no information about which Beanie Babies were which and how many of them had been produced and how many of them there were and things like that. So like these mothers and gradually people that sort of developed a beanie baby enthusiasm went and basically hunted down all this information for themselves found all of the beanie babies they could rang up because this is a day where you had to like ring up places from like yellow pages from libraries and stuff like that to go and dig out these random beanie babies so a a sort of a, a small but extremely hardcore fan base for the beanie babies built up until one day uh they ended up there was an article about this community and about these Beanie Babies and about Ty Warner. And I think this is the only time he'd ever been publicly interviewed because he is a bit of a weird dude, as we've kind of already covered. Um, And after that People Magazine article, I mean, shit went crazy. Uh, You know, it was everything that anyone remembers about Beanie Babies. And for the people that don't, like, much like we've talked about on this podcast before, pokemon cards and you know there being security guards in toys r us and them having to kind of you know have like <laughs> armed patrols protecting you know like members of staff putting them out on the shelves in toy stores in america like it was it was that level of insanity for beanie babies and this whole secondary market sprang up where you know people would go and like mass buy all of the beanie babies when they came out and then flip them around and there was different like people started their own um original like html personal homepage style websites listing all the beanie babies that they had back in the day so even some of it's pre-ebay so it was just like you literally just had to mail someone a check or like ring someone up to try and go and buy their beanie babies and the markups were insane you know they were going for like thousands upon thousands and like the at its peak the breaking point was um in, in 1997, when, when Princess Diana died, they made a, a, a purple, um, <laughs> like, sort of limited edition, uh, I, I, I would say, in a way, sort of commemorative, but not really. It was just a purple bear that had a white rose on it. Um, and that was, like, for Princess Diana. And, and everyone went mad for this. And then that was kind of the peak of the value it seemed and then they just started gradually coming down towards the back end of the 90s you know somebody at one stage was paying thousands of pounds for that princess diana beanie baby and um there was like a news report where it was being offered online for like eight dollars by the end of the 90s and the whole thing crashed 
and it's you know the story of a lot of these people who were kind of making a living off of it and that um, that went away almost immediately um weird competitiveness that existed between these beanie baby collectors and how intense some of them were one of the weirdest things on there was this woman who was a beanie baby collector who lost a lot of money on it and she had a job as like a cryptographer for nasa and at one point she worked like pretty like code breaky style job in the fbi and she fucked all this off to go and like hunt beanie babies um which is just yeah like mind-boggling to me but it's like a really interesting character study of all these people and how they got super super into this craze and it does very much feel like a warning um to any anybody who may feel like they're just getting into something just maybe just a little too deep to the point where it might be slightly to affect their life and their relationships and their direct actions um to, to just have a look at this as a bit of a character and a case study and my god you know as much as i hate bringing it up on this show is it a complete parallel of what's going on with nfts at the moment i was about to ask that was going to be my follow-up is like like do you see the exact same character traits and behavior and personality types between the beanie babies and the nfts without doubt 100 percent. it's just instead of like midwestern mums it's like weird like crypto bros who exist on twitter but they're all like really you know supportive of each other in the thing which is like what all these moms were like and i was like this is just such an allegory for for nfts i it's insane and part of me thinks that maybe that's why it was made like it came out right at the back end of last year and last year was sort of the, the real growth of the nft right um so i i think this is this is the line goes up of beanie baby ducks it is it is very line goes uppy and uh yeah the I guess the the button on the tire warner is a bit of a douchebag thing happened at the end. So one of the things he did when the uh, value of Beanie Babies was going down is that he said on his website, that's it, I'm not making any more Beanie Babies. You know, the bottom of the market's dropped out, that's it, we're done. And it was a, like a market employer to sell more. And then like a couple of months later, he put up a poll and he's like, guys, should we start making Beanie Babies again? Like once he'd burned through all of his stock um, and then, you know, had a vote. Uh, which I'm going to put in inverted commas as a vote. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, Beanie Babies won. And like loads of people on there were just like, well, I didn't vote that Beanie Babies to come back. Um, and yeah, the last public sort of appearances of him uh, was him being arrested for massive, massive tax evasion um, con- containing, I think, $107 million in an offshore account in Switzerland um oh boy so yeah uh, uh, like in in i guess i don't want to defend him too much but he he was extremely philanthropic kind of throughout his life and he was one of these guys you know a bit like when when george michael died like maybe 50 people came out and they're like i you know my mum was dying and needed medical bill money and george michael paid it and he said don't ever tell anybody there's like quite a few stories about that like about ty warner that are like that and it was his philanthropy that basically led to him only having to i think pay 53 million dollars to the u.s government and take like a two-year probationary sentence rather than having his ass thrown in jail like martha stewart style for this mega tax evasion that he did but yeah Mm. that's kind of the button on the ty warner story and obviously he was asked to be in the documentary and there wasn't hide nor hair of him in there which would have been super interesting because it only would have been like his second ever public interview but yeah it's just a very fascinating story and I, i do think that watch it and you will see the weird parallels between this and nfts it's I, there's something insanely snackable about HD, hbo documentaries like i'm hooked on them ridiculously i talked about the music box one music box ones from last year which is just class and uh, did you ever yeah. watch sound city 
Sound City. Sound City is brilliant. Really yeah. good documentary. And great album as well that came out. Yeah, great album. I love the I love the McCartney um, McCartney Nirvana combo on there. Is is. Um, I'm a big fan of the Stevie Nicks track. Stevie Nicks track is also very. I'm just a big fan of Stevie Nicks in general. Yeah. And obviously, one of the crowning achievements was the uh, the McDonald's sort of game piece monopoly heist um, yeah. five parter that they made. And I'm normally we reviewed not, that on the podcast. We didn't did. We? I'm normally not a massive fan of multi part documentaries because I feel like there's far too many of them about. Um, yeah. But yeah, that it that was also great. Um, yeah, I, I I also just want to mention for like ten seconds because I really don't want to give it any more play than this. I watched the Tinder Swindle, Tinder Swindler, which is yeah. like the most water cooler type documentary you could ever possibly yeah. imagine. And fuck that guy. And why the hell anyone has given him any public notice or anything is just beyond me. He's an I, awful person, and that's why I don't want to talk about it because it almost yeah. is like he's been glorified since it's been on. There. You, you know, just very briefly, like Garrett, you love seeing because you're a letterboxed man like myself. Like it's always in the you know what's hot uh, since it came out on on Letterboxd, and I maybe watched five minutes of it, and I was like, nope. This seems like a very bang average or slightly below bang average one of these. Um, it is. I actually, I actually need to go on and rate it for the bit that I watched. It was just extremely off-putting and not just in the subject matter. Watch the last 20 minutes, though, because one of the women swindles him back, and that is the best part of the documentary, cool. as he loses control of his personality and sends, like, 50 messages, which sort of hover between, oh, like, I love you, I trust you, please don't leave me, to I will find and kill you and all of your family. And he was going back and forth between these, and the woman's just sitting there laughing, and she was selling all of his expensive gear off. It was amazing. Um, but, yeah, so- that, that bit at the end where she wins is the only good bit. So speaking of um, things that would make interesting documentary fodder, um, I watched a movie and a show that are somewhat related. Gentlemen, the most fascinating thing from a lot of perspectives uh, in kind of filmmaking over the last few years is the incredible chaotic mess that is the DCEU. (laughs) And how many like they're like legitimate multiple series worth of documentaries could be gotten out of the different things that have happened with that whole mess since it came out and it's wild because it's like when the thi- when the things out of that come out that hit they fucking hit and i i, I love them like i do you know, first I, wonder woman movie still great. first wonder woman recently i was back in here talking about birds of prey and let me tell you guys if you like i love birds of prey the first time i saw it and i got it on blu-ray and and re-watched it recently when i talked about it on the pod and holy shit man like birds of prey is the rare movie in that whole canon that if anything actually gets better with re-watches it's just a fucking an absolute blast of a movie and I decided I'd go this week because there was something I wanted to watch related to this that I would go back and watch The Suicide Squad. Um, is this the good one or the shit the, one? The good one. Yes, will, the good one is very good. I will. I am unlikely to have a graw to want to rewatch the bad one. This is this, the James Gunn one. Not um, unless they release the, the, what's the name of the director? The air cut? The air cut, yeah. <laughs> oh, you want the air cut? Yeah. I, I and I again, kind of like the Snyder right Cut, for like in a perverse way, I kind of do want the air cut. Is like because because could it have been worse? Let's find out. Um, I don't know, Dave, but I know that there was about, some sort of 
Suicide Squad yeah. in it. I like the thing about that is like, do you remember all the stuff about Jared Leto saying that like it was like over half an hour more worth of Joker scenes that he shot. Yeah. Never saw the light of day. And he was fuming, which is yeah. the biggest narcissist on the planet. That must yeah, have been hard also, for him to like, take. You know, based on the scenes we did see, I'm thinking that was a mercy kill, getting rid of mm. those half hour. Like, you never would have lived that shit down. And also, fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> to um, be honest. Well said. Yes, truly. Um, But yes, yeah, so I watched The Suicide Squad and... Oh man, that film is just a fucking blast. Like, you know, I'm predisposed to James Gunn's stuff and I think did we talk about him recently on the show? I mentioned or... Peacemaker a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, so I'll be getting on to that in a second. And like I do think there is something to the sometimes the the and I think they were talking about this on on um got to plug Barry again I think they were talking about this on Chairshot Podcast recently as well that like sometimes the the James Gunnisms, the the writing tropes can can wear on people a bit but I'm I've always like you know I'm a huge Slither fan and you know obviously Guardians of the Galaxy goes without saying and different stuff like that I, I think James Gunn is great and I think he's a guy that not only has an appreciation for comics and and things like that, but also really wholeheartedly embraces how fucking ridiculous comic books are. Like, I'm cool with having a serious comic book movie every now and again, and that's cool, because, like, I want the light and the dark. I want different people doing different takes on on, on things. Like, I'm super excited for the Batman. Yeah. I don't imagine there's going to be a huge amount of yucks in the Batman, but at the same time... I love the hell out of the Suicide Squad, which is just a big, colourful, dumb explosion of a movie and is the best kind of way to get just a bunch of really, like, characters that you are not going to get in, like, a Batman movie or something like that. Like, the real B and C tier and worse villains and... Do you know, we, we've gushed on the, the program before about how, like, one of the real, like, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman is one of the, like, they just fucking stumbled upon somebody who was perfect for that role. um But, like, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn is just, like, incredible. You know, I said it about Birds of Prey. She is uh possibly the sole highlight of that original Suicide Squad movie. She's fantastic in this. Um... The uh she- the the moment where like you think that she's having a real quandary about something she find out finds out about someone and then she yeah. just immediately murders them is one of my favorite moments in in cinema from that year. When yeah, this came she's out. great. Uh, and then like the two <laughs> the two uh, stars quote unquote in the movie like Idris Elba and John Cena. Oh. It it's like such pitch perfect casting of guys who like. They're kind of characters who are taking things very seriously, but it's perfect in that world because it's 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 so ridiculous. Everything that's happening around them and they're so po-faced most of the time with it. Like, you know, uh, Idris Elba as the straight man reacting to all these absolute goofs is fantastic. And yep. the comedy, and we'll get onto it in Peacemaker as well, like, you know, the majority of the comedy with the Peacemaker character is how stone serious he takes himself um and yeah he's great in it it was just 
And like again One of the Like Weirdest Ballsiest Dumbest things That's been in any of these uh, Like MCU or DCEU movies Is having fucking Starro the Conqueror oh. As your <laughs> As your big say, yeah. Fucking boss At the when, end When you mention comics Are weird um, in, in, in the very Movie Bob style Earlier I just immediately Wanted to shout Starro was the fucking Big villain in this movie And yeah. when you finally See the like 50 foot fucking Starfish Looming yeah. over a city you're like, oh, he 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 went there. Like there was no yeah. compromises made. They just made it yeah. look like Starro, and it yeah. is. Insane. Peacemaker has a little of that as well. It's just this yeah. giant alien character that looks ridiculous in the context of the show, and they're like, yep, that's just what yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah, and like, yeah, it's 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 just a fantastic movie, and that set me up very nicely to finally watch Peacemaker, and. Yeah, it's it ended it ended last week, Garrett, didn't it? The finale was last week, I think. Yes, if my yeah. perception of time remains constant, which I know. it doesn't. <laughs> um so I, I was like I was waiting till the last episode and I ended up binging I watched six episodes in one night and only for the fact that I absolutely had to go to bed, I would have watched the other two as well. <laughs> watched the other two yesterday then. And Gar uh, I know you've watched it, Garrett. Have you watched it all now, Garrett? Yep. Jack, what about you? Have you no, it's still sat there waiting for me to start. Um, yeah, I got like, I, I got distracted by Beanie Jack, Babies this week. Jack, you are gonna love Peacemaker. I know. You will, so you will absolutely adore much. it. I'm hyped. It will be hard to beat this for your like TV show of 2022. If we do, wow. I you know I had I had thought about like in our game of the year that we should do like a throwaway like category for like TV show or movie of the oh. year because we do that for the first half of the show anyway usually but like, and, you know, and that would just add like another two or three hours onto yeah. that show um yeah it's eight episodes they're all about forty minutes each so they fucking zip by um every episode it's again it's that classic mark of how funny it is if you find yourself watching it by yourself laughing out loud multiple times in an episode you know it must be really really good and that yeah. you know it is so to a fault James Gunn I, I feel like I'm probably just like it's like I'm rereading some of Garrett's talking points here from when he did it so I apologize friend but yeah, it's so James Gunn top to bottom. I'm so happy. Like normally for these things, it's like, oh, it'd be nice if it was a self-contained series. It's kind of a bummer that they're continuing on. But like by the time I got to the end of episode eight, I was actually kind of jazzed that they're doing a season two and that James Gunn is staying on board for it. Like as soon as he's done with Guardians, he's coming back to Peacemaker. Because like there, um, there's bits of Suicide Squad and Guardians that inherently, because there's these big mass audience blockbusters, yeah. they they do have to be smooth and mainstream and a little. And Peacemaker basically has none of that. It's just like, oh, unleash all of your James goodness all over it's, this it's super rough around the edges in a good way it's super weird the dialogue is so good and it is like I, I totally underscore everything Garrett said about like this is not a superhero a superhero show for all ages this is truly Garrett was not underselling it when he says John Cena be fucking yes. and, like you're seeing a lot of John Cena in this show <laughs> John Cena is absolutely swearing his tits off constantly in the show. <laughs> it is an, an absolutely, again, James Gunn trope. It is an unbelievably foul-mouthed TV show. <laughs> there are there are some gags in this that, like, I can't believe they were allowed put on a show on HBO. Even um, on HBO, because, like, that that's a pretty extreme channel. They, yeah, it's, it's not even TV HBO either. It's HBO Max. It's all digital. Yeah. I, I, I will say 
Garrett will know there is a, a dialogue sequence where they reference a a controversial figure in a very recent scandal. Okay. Uh, shall we say and it's just like oh my god and it just keep i thought it was going to be like a one-off reference to the guy and they go for a full like it's clearly like at least partly improv because it goes on for about 90 seconds back and forth and like oh my god oh my god it's really fucking good um some of the like the the commentary of the show is 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 really interesting like some of the stuff it like because obviously you know, the whole gimmick about Peacemaker is, you know, I, I pursue peace no matter how many men, women, and children I have to kill to get it. So there's there's obvious, with the Peacemaker characters, there's obvious commentaries on things like imper- American imperialism and, and shit like that. But, you know, some of the stuff it does with commenting on contemporary American culture, particularly if you know who, um, if you already know before you watch it, what character from the comics... Uh, peacemaker's dad is um uh, some interesting stuff comes into play there we'll say i'm trying not to give it away i think the performances universally are fantastic in it um jennifer holland as as harcourt is great like I, I i feel like she's going to start kicking off big time she hasn't been it like i looked at her imdb she hasn't been in a huge amount of stuff to this point um she was in like one of the terrible spin-offs of american pie that nobody saw and kind of her big like her big thing so far has been the Suicide Squad and this. Um, Steve Agee is great. Big Steve Agee guy. Anyway, I, I was Steve so Agee. happy to see him in this. Um, but the the two absolute stars of the show, apart from John Cena, who I think, like, I'm... To this point so far, I have been fairly hit and miss on John... Like, so I've laughed at some things John Cena has been in and some of the stuff that he's done but I am not sold on him as an actor before now. Um, but actually, like, there's a bit of range in here. There's some dramatic stuff he does. There's obviously some very comedic stuff he does in this. And do you know what? I'm on board. I'm really on board. And I think this is, like I said, another pitch-perfect bit of casting from them to have him as Peacemaker. He's so fucking good. Um But the the two stars of the show for me, one, Eagly the Eagle. Love Eagly. <laughs> Um and, and to the guy who plays Vigilante, who is like the guy who has basically harangued himself into being Peacemaker's sidekick. Like he's he he has this almost parasocial relationship with him about how he's like, Oh yeah, Peacemaker's my best friend, and Peacemaker is just kind of annoyed by him. He's just like this young dude that he can't shake. And uh like he's just Vigilante is constantly trying to force the bromance on them, and he's an absolute doofus. Um, he is fantastic. Um, I felt bad. I listened back to our first talk about Peacemaker, and I was like, ah, oh, I forgot to mention Vigilante, and he—he he is my favorite character in the show because there's something consistently about like emotionless characters that don't understand like any kind of feelings or context clues or any kind of like that stuff. It's—it's yeah. it's a lot like Batista's performance in the first Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Yeah, like the kind of character who just does not understand human emotions, Doesn't and it, it. Th- that can be played for, for some tremendous comedy. Yeah, that's um, uh, that's Freddie Streamer, by the way. He's uh, he, he's one of ours. He's uh, he's from London, so he shout is, out Freddie Streamer. He is really good. At it. Just everybody, like you know, I don't want to like single people out because I think it's like it's a tight, nice, small little cast of people who are in every episode, and you you get to spend a good bit of time with them. And I think everybody's brilliant in it. 
And um, I did laugh though because I think it was something you mentioned, uh, Garrett, wasn't it? That like the the brief glimpses of uh, Amanda Waller in this were clearly like she was given <laughs> that that fuck you Kelsey Grammer money playing money like we were talking about before to do like one uh, Zoom call scene and one uh, scene sitting on her couch in probably her actual house. Yeah, get that money. And I was I, I really like how self contained the show is in general. Yeah, like a bunch of the Marvel shows are very reliant on like the broader universe and the show very much isn't it's its own self-contained story until a cameo in the finale which is just tremendous i look i i completely agree and i love that it's self-contained and i love that it doesn't feel necessary to weave itself in agents of shield style into everything that's going on in a bigger universe right that said just like you said there garrett this might be it's one of, if not the greatest, wider universe cameos ever in something like this. I wept. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. Yeah, please it don't was, ruin that for me now. I won't, I'm now excited. I won't. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not even gonna hint at who it is. But it's just. It's fantastic. Um. Yeah, I love it. Peacemaker. It's like it's it set the bar for for TV in uh, in twenty twenty two for me. Um, I'm excited though that like hopefully I'll be able to talk about it next week. But I have ready to go to watch the the new show Severance. Um, that's the Ben Stiller created Apple TV show. All oh, right. Yeah. That's um. It's about like, it's this weird kind of dystopian show. Like uh, Ben Stiller created it, but it is do not mistake it for a like a a yuck fest. It's like this sci-fi dystopian thing about a world where like the these people working for this big corporation have to sign a waiver that essentially like splits their conscious mind so that they are a person when they're in work they're a person who does not know anything or remember anything of their outside life and when they leave to go outside they don't remember anything or uh, are they're a completely different person to who they are inside the job uh, and it's because of like the nature of whatever the fuck they're working on in in this place is so top secret that that's what they've done they've done this severance between your work brain and your ho- your home brain basically that sounds like a really interesting concept for yeah. a show. It, and you know what like i talked on the show about that show devs that i watched last year that i like i think it's on Disney Plus and everybody should watch devs it's a fucking great sci-fi show and alex garland made it um and uh, it it seems like it's going to scratch that itch for me because I kind of mm. wanted a bit more of that. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to try that. Yeah, well, I actually use my Apple TV, um, you know, membership. Well, I've got like the Apple thing where you get the music and the TV and all that, but the only thing mm. I've ever watched on there are like the morning show and Ted Lasso. So I, uh, I, sh- I should get my money's worth by watching mm. that as well, I think. Let's move into video games, gentlemen. And and Garrett, you have been exploring the Forbidden West, as have I. Yeah, it's so sad that their lunch is going to get eaten by Elden Ring again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny, because I've played two, three, four hours of Elden Ring. Not Again, not the similar to Horizon last week, not enough to have like concrete thoughts yeah. on. But my, my one thought is that for the last five years, uh, as Dave shows me his copy of Elden Ring, for the last five years, we've been asking the question, like, how does Breath of the Wild change open world games? And the answer has mostly been, it didn't. Yeah. Like, a lot of open world games, like Ubisoft haven't changed anything. Like, most of the open world games are still more or less the same. 
<laughs> Elden Ring is the first game I'm playing that I'm like, oh, this is the first like post Breath of the Wild game that's like taking Breath of the Wild and building on those ideas. And the poor thing is again released a week after Horizon. It seems very much like most developers, Gorilla included, were kind of like they got a look at Breath of the Wild when it came out and was like, oh, fuck that. That seems hard. Let's just keep what we were doing. We are going to add the glider and nothing else. <laughs> this I, I have very conflicted feelings about Horizon because I don't think anything about Horizon... Actually, no, maybe I don't like the climbing. I think the climbing kind of sucks. But for the most part, I think Horizon Forbidden West is a well-made open-world game that... <laughs> I don't think you should have to sit there and scrutinize every single time you're playing a video game thinking, is the thing I'm doing right now fun? But I think if you did that playing this game, the answer more often than not would be no. Hmm. And not in a way that the the, the thing you're doing is unpleasant, but more in a way that the thing you're doing just feels, pardon the pun based on the subject matter of the game, it just feels mechanical. It just feels like an open world game where it's like, these are my open world activities and this is my open world quest. And this is my open Do you world. It's funny, in my few hours playing with it, I actually thought of Jack a lot because I thought that this might scratch his Far Cry itch because that's that's what it is for me. Like, it's kind of a very good one of those where it's like, if that's the kind of game that's your jam that you want to like stick on a podcast, stick on some music and have, a, you know, a big stomp around this uh, cool looking open world with some gnarly uh robot dinosaur designs and you want to like fill your boots with side quests and and you know crafting and filling out skill trees and stuff like that this will be a game you will sink a lot of hours into do i think necessarily that equates to a like a home run game of the year candidate for me probably not um i think it does enough things very well without necessarily being revelatory that like i don't think i'm gonna i'm not gonna be voting for this for best story it might get into best looking because it it looks absolutely gorgeous it does have some weird visual hiccups Mm. now and again though doesn't it like there's some things where like as particularly during like cutscenes, it'll cut change the angle of the cutscene and some of the textures that lighting won't have loaded and it's a split second thing but it's it's weirdly consistent there's also a scene in the cutscene where somebody was walking away and their footsteps trailed them by like two seconds so it's just like the dirt would move up it's like uh, and it's weird. funny, that feels like an engine thing because i feel like there were similar kinds of things happening with zero dawn uh, mm. on on PS4 um it's yeah it's it's an interesting one that like and to talk about Elden Ring as well Elden Ring is rife with those problems yeah. like th- there'll just be whole grass textures that won't load for like 2 seconds you'll just see the dirt and then it's like oh that's a weird uh, art oh no the grass just hasn't I was loaded actually why are you playing it on Garrett um out of interest Elden Ring? uh both on PS5 yeah, I, oh, I right, read okay. that the most stable versions of Elden Ring are um the performance boosted on Series S and X, but after that, if you're getting it on PlayStation, people recommend you play the PS4 version. Weird. Yeah, which that's is odd. Like, mm, that's unusual. Um, Very odd. But back briefly on on Horizon, I I think it is what you're saying definitely mirrors my experience so far, Garrett. Like I can't necessarily go. Here are the glaring things wrong with this game. Um. It is good, but is it something that, like, once I beat it is going to live long in the memory? Not necessarily. And this feels like a 
a thing that Gorilla have been doing because this is kind of like the Killzone thing. It's like the Killzone sequels were just more Killzone and pretty much this is just, if you like that first game, here's a load more of that first game. You know? Um, it doesn't feel like, I'm not saying it necessarily needs to reinvent the wheel, but it just feels like, oh yeah, this immediately is recognisable as this is Horizon Zero Dawn just five years later, you know? Yeah, it just, it all it all feels so, like, obligatory. Yeah. Like, all of it. Just just the way the game plays, mm. all the story stuff. Though I was, I, I've, I'm about, I think, 10 or 11 hours into it, and there there is some story stuff popping up then that's, like, more interesting because I did I actually didn't play the first Horizon so I just like googled Horizon plot synopsis yeah. and watched a video on it beforehand just to get myself caught up and there is some plot stuff happening after at 10 hours 10 mm. 11 hours which is quite a long way into the game for the game to get interesting yeah. but there is some stuff there in the story that I'm like I, I might want to see this through after I'm done with Elden yeah. Ring but it, it is very much the case that playing this game I just don't have any strong feelings it, about it. Like, neither good nor and, bad. And, you know, the first one was one of those where there was... Do you ever get that, Garrett, in, in open world games where it's like, whoa, there's one particular or two particular types of side quests or types of mission that these are really cool. I'd love more of these. And there's hardly any of them. And then there's ones that you find relatively tedious and there's a million of those. Like, that mm-hmm. was me in the first game where I was like, the cauldrons uh, were fucking awesome. Like, going into these uh, weird kind of, like, techno, uh, technologically advanced things, trying to figure out from, like, uh, environmental clues and audio logs and stuff like that. Like, what is the mystery behind this game and shit like that? And there being good combat challenges in there. And then there's only a handful of those dotted throughout the map in the first one. And then the rest of the side quests are, you know, kind of very Far Cry-esque in it. Oh, you want to upgrade your satchel? You need to find this, 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 and this. Um, And yeah, like after a certain extent, once I upgrade things to the extent I want, uh, I I lose all patience for that kind of shit. So I can see myself uh, doing some explore, 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 because it's a nice looking world. But then you know at a certain point i'm probably just going to critical path this thing i don't think this is going to be a game i'm looking for excuses to overstay my welcome in by any stretch i did have an, an interesting thought playing the start of this game which is a pretty linear tutorial it's basically like a contained level as opposed to an open world mm. thing and i was thinking like would this game be better if it wasn't open world if it was taking these combat mechanics and these like exploration mechanics and just building 10, 12 levels around them, one of which is a cauldron, some of which are combat based, some of which are take down this cool giant enemy. Yeah. And it gets rid of the filler. It gets rid of the fluff. It gets rid of like, there's a tower there, go climb it. It gets rid of, there's a camp there, go clear it out. It gets rid of, there's a cave there, go explore it. There's an item in the end. If you clear out all that filler and just take like the, the core of what that game yeah. is and contain it into like a character action yeah. game, I think it would be a better I, game. I, like maybe that's the thing that gives us kind of a tone of slight dis- disappointment with the game is because there is kind of like you're saying there 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 are enough things you can pick out of it to make an unbelievable like I, do you know the designs of some of these robot dinosaurs and the idea of like you know tagging them to flag like the weak spots and, and things like that and some of that shit is just like i love that do you know what i mean i think it looks really cool um it it like it feels great using your arrows or your 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 different weapons to knock bits and pieces off them to make them weaker or to harvest and 
things like that I really love. And yeah, maybe it's tough to put that genie back in the bottle though, isn't it? Like after the first one being open world, like I think they probably run the risk of making more people annoyed by, oh, severely contracting, you know, the scale of the game in that way, even if it does make for materially better game for people like us. Yeah, like after the first one is open world, you, you can't go yeah. back. But maybe maybe if they started with this being a Tomb Raider-esque game instead of... Like, because when you ask the question, yourself the question, like, why is this open yeah. world... The answer is well because that's just the kind of game these games yeah. are. There, there, there's no like we're bringing this to the open world mm. that really makes it really yeah. interesting, as opposed to like games like Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring, which try to at least yeah. take the open world formula and change. I shouldn't say Elden Ring. I played three hours of it. I don't know. Maybe I'll hate yeah. it. But <laughs> you know that that are trying to do something new and different in open worlds, as opposed to like we all give out about the Ubisoft map checklist. Mm. And that's that is it's just what this game is, and it's a good version of it. But I think we have reached the critical mass point of mm. that kind of game. And that I suppose, yeah, that like you said, that it's exposed even more by the timing of both of these games in the series coming out. Poor gorilla, poor gorilla. Yeah. Every time they were, the, at least this time they were like, "Thank God, Breath of the Wild, no release date, we're safe." And then Elden Ring, Elden Ring, even she should have been out before yeah. the Horizon, but they're like, "No, we'll delay it to yeah. a little bit after, and, just to again eat." And their also, lunch. if I'm gorilla, I'm not thinking for a second that a Soulsborne type game is going to be the one to eat my lunch. I wouldn't be worried about it, even if they were releasing the same day. And then, like, you get closer to the date and you realise what Elden Ring is. And it's like, oh no, they're in trouble again. <laughs> they, they've they released their well-made same old open world game days before the revolutionary changing of the open world genre yeah. for a second time in a row. Yeah. Extremely funny. Extremely funny. Um... But I will say, if you like the first one, you'll like this. Yeah. It's it's maybe if you you might get tired of it, but like if you're like, oh, I'm hankering for more of that Horizon, you'll you'll like this. It's a I I have small problems with it. Like if you have four traps, you can only place three of mm. them because you didn't get the skill tree update upgrade. And I'm like that just that just makes no yeah. sense. If I have four traps, why does one break if I put down yeah. three? It's just it's video gaming in a way I don't like at yeah. times, but it's 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 good for yeah i i think for me this is going to be one of those games that i don't think will be conducive to long play sessions of like four or five hours it's like i'm gonna pop in do a bunch of stuff for like an hour an hour and a half and that's the way i'll 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 digest this game um because like you were saying that like there's so much open worldiness to it that it's going to get repetitive real quick if i'm just kind of marathoning it um so i think and I'm, I'm not completely against open world league no. because like both Spider-Mans are the same. Like both Spider-Mans are checklist games, but the act of moving around that world is so much fun that, you know what, I don't care if I go around and collect 50 backpacks. It's fun to do it. So like you can do this kind of game in a way that's interesting in a modern environment. You just have to find what your twist mm-hmm. on it is. Exactly. Or, or you have so many fast travel points that it doesn't choke to explore the environment if you don't want to as well. That's the other thing, I think. If you don't have that fluidity of movement or interesting like mechanic for travelling, I just think you've got a fucking butt-ton of, of fast travel points, right? So you can get from A to B and enjoy the content of the game rather than arsing around with travel. 
Before we uh, throw over to Jack, I'm just going to mention the only other game I'm playing this week, and that is Cuphead. Uh, just a quick update on the uh, the hunt for A-ranks across the board. Uh, I've nearly cleared out Inkwell Isle 2. I am left with uh, Wally Warbles, who I am on the cusp of an A-rank on, and uh, then it is Grim Matchstick, the dragon. And that will be the make or break point for me. <laughs> that will be, will I continue through this? Because that dragon, I hate him. <laughs> uh, you know what? If you just made Wally Warbles up, I, I would, wouldn't have known. Like, it's just, that's such a ridiculous name for a character. Yeah, yeah he's a woody woodpecker looking motherfucker. Um, he's, yeah, he's a real piece of shit, let me tell you. Um. <laughs> But yeah, the dragon is the one that, like, it's the closest. Once I committed that I was going to beat the game, the dragon was the one that drove me the closest to quitting. Um, It was a waking fucking nightmare trying to beat that. Like, it's the hardest boss by far for me in the whole game. Um, Like, King Dice, in as much as it's a long boss battle, is very difficult, but no individual element of it is as difficult as the, the, the dragon fight is. Um, Plus, you get to hear that song every time, right? Uh, no, that's only when you're going through the die house, and unfortunately, you don't hear oh, right, it when yeah, you're I mean, doing yeah. the actual battle. Um, Media switch off for me then. But yeah, the, so that's where I am. Uh, further updates as events warrant. Uh, Jack, over to you. So I've I finished Legends of Arceus now. Um, so I just wanted to kind of round round up my final thoughts on it. Um, Garrett, did you beat? Uh, the boss on the mountaintop, like the 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 toughest Pokemon battle in the whole game. Um, when you play through, yes, it. I haven't had more trouble with a Pokemon battle since I was like nine. Yeah, I mean, how difficult was that? It was outrageous. That thing kicked my ass. Like, as I said, I, most Pokemon games are pretty easy. You know, you you might lose a fight once, and it's usually because you did something stupid. Yeah. Here, I was like, oh, I'll rock up. And, like, I st- I had one of the legendaries in my team, so I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. You know, it's a Pokemon battle. And then, like, no, I lost. And it's like, all right, you know, I'll I'll, I'll add one. Because a bunch of the post-game qu- uh, quests before you can take on this fight involve you catching a bunch of legendaries. So it's like, listen, I'll be a little cheap. I'm going to add a second legendary to my team. And it's like, no, to kick my ass again. <laughs> Yeah, the the worst part I think is that I actually won that battle, the ver- the very first time I tried it, I won the battle and I was like, bloody hell, that was hard. And then you think you've won, and then you have to fight yeah. Giratina, and then Giratina yeah. one shotted the one Pokemon that I had remaining after I'd left it, and I swore very loudly. So I used I I boosted like my effort value, switched my team around. And then after two more goes, I beat Giratina as well. I'm like, right, okay, this has taken me best part of an hour now, but I finally beaten Giratina. And then Giratina goes from the standard form to the origin form, and then one yeah. shot at the remaining Pokemon I had. And I was, I, yeah, Garrett, I was livid. Like I was so <laughs> angry at that point. I was like, I can't believe Pokemon has fucked you, fuck you'd me this hard right now. Um, so I was like, okay, bollocks to this. I went and caught the uh, alpha level 85 Garchomp and just went back with that. And then when I went back with that, I, 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 I housed it. But um, shitting hell was that tough. I think I used two legendaries. I used Cressalia and I used Heatran. Um, and then I had like... Uh, I can't wait. I, so I had my level 85 Garchomp. I had a Togekiss... 
um, because that was really good. And um, oh, his Togekiss is real goddamn annoying. Yeah, especially when it uses the thing where it boosts its attack and its defense at the same time. I think it's Calm Mind every time it goes mm. straight into it. And there are some of those Pokemon that I feel like get three, like his Arcanine gets like three turns before you can even do anything, and it just wipes shit out of you every single time, which which was infuriating as well. Um, I'm just trying to remember what my other Pokemon was. It was, uh, oh, the the evolution of Turtwig, which is just completely uh, like out of my brain right now. Um, Torterra. Yeah, Torterra. Yeah, I used the, I used the Torterra just for the ground attacks more than anything else. That was kind of like my team for that. Um, and I beat that, and I was like, awesome. Um, and then it was like Arceus was like, you go and seek out all Pokemon. And I looked at my decks, and I realized I needed like 100 or something of them. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think for the time being, I might come back to this. But right now, I just want to move on to something else. Um, that is the exact same thing that happened to me. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll continue on to the post game. I'll catch all these legendaries. I'll fight this fight. And then it was like, I was on like 180 something. I think there's 260 in the game. And yeah. like, nah. You're just like, uh, right now, I just I just need a moment. Um, it is the best thing that has happened to Pokemon in a, in a long time, possibly since like Gold and Silver, um, which is no mean feat of a statement. It is fantastic. I do not know or think that necessarily it's going to be like a game of the year candidate, but it is just such a refreshing departure from everything they did before um, over and over again, the same game. And then here we go. Here's this really interesting kind of take on everything. So super hyped to see what the Pokemon company do in the future with this direction that they took the game. Um, so I need to start a new game. Um, when I finished it, I, I finished it a couple of days ago. Um, been out for a couple of evenings this week, so it's been tough to kind of get much game time in. But um, I'm like, I have Horizon Forbidden West, okay, to play. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, and Garrett, you know, I don't know how much you have played the the From games. Um, but should I, a person who has never played a From game, Start Elden Ring. What Can are I, your thoughts? Before, Either of you, two of you. Right before now. he launches into this, I would just like to say: Is this a personal slight on me that you're not going? Should I play Cuphead? That you'll go to. <laughs> you'll go to. Arguably, oh, well, I haven't played it myself yet, but like, arguably, a game with just as much reputation for being difficult, but just not the one I want you to play out of spite. <laughs> Look, at the end of the day, right. I'm thinking I'm thinking about game of the year here, right? I'm thinking I last year I missed having input on a game that the other three of you had played and was a really important game. I feel like everyone maybe bar mark, although I'm not oh, sure gonna is gonna I, be I would be like given his lack of history with these games or or the trying of these games, I would not hold my breath on him picking up Elden Ring. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, I don't mind about being buried by Sean McGee. He knows I'm probably a wuss when it comes to these sort of things anyway, right? But should I play Elden Ring? Garrett, what are your thoughts as a person that may have experience with it? What what do you think? I think, like, the big talking point going into this game is it's, quote-unquote, from software's most accessible game. Is it, though? Is it accessible? What, honestly is it in the way that every monster hunter was the new most accessible monster hunter and they were still imperceptibly weird games yes listen it it is but i don't think in the way that people probably think it is i think when right. people hear that they hear 
it's easier, yeah. which it's not. Ah. It's not easier. It's not like simpler me- mechanically. It's still a from software game. But the difference here is when you hit a wall in Bloodborne or you hit a wall in Dark Souls, you're just at that wall. You yeah. have to fight that boss. And if you can't beat it, that's the end. You, like you, you can't do anything. Whereas this game is so open and has such a large degree of freedom that if you hit a wall, you can walk 20 hours in the other direction. So I think that's the way in which it's more accessible. That like, I don't think this game has walls because it literally doesn't have walls, like literal walls. You can just go in a different direction. I see. Right. I, so um... it's, it's kind of like it, it's got that, like you said, it's the first true post Breath of the Wild where like you will encounter areas or mini bosses in Breath of the Wild that will whip your ass early on in the game. But you can go away, find some more shrines somewhere else, get a few upgraded weapons and shit like that, and you can come back and you can kick some ass later on. You're not necessarily yeah. stuck unless you want to be stuck. Is there a yeah, way you, to be you can OP? Force it as long as you want, but you don't have to. Like, is there a way oh, to yeah, become like, OP, Garrett? Or is it like percent? Yeah, there is. Okay, because I kind of don't mind that, like going out and grinding and becoming powerful and then taking down a boss that was beating the shit out of me. I just don't want to hit up against a boss where I have to press dodge at the exact moment, like every single time. It doesn't matter how many souls I've harvested or levels I've gained or armors I found or weapons I found, but it's still gonna beat the shit out of me. That I, I, that would make me really difficult for me. I, I I imagine if it's anything like the other games, there is still an element of you definitely having to do that. But the the more you beef yourself up and try to become OP'd, the less you making a single mistake is going to one-shot you. Yeah, yeah you, you can't just be bad, but you could dramatically reduce the margin of error. That's what I'm looking like, for, you, yeah. Yeah. And I think that this game is more grindable than any of the other ones. And I think like the, the average enemy is less difficult just because of the open world. Yeah. Because I, I think a, a big thing about Souls games is you'll just get cornered and you'll get the shit kicked out of you by the most basic small enemy and you'll feel completely demoralized. Whereas there there are dungeons in the game in this game where that can happen. There are like little holes in the wall you can just walk down and there's these crypts and you can explore. But everything in the open world, you can just get the jump on and kill very quickly. I, I saw footage of Dan Reichert just riding around on a horse and he kind of stopped to look at the environment and he was tackled violently off that horse by a giant wolf. Does that sort of thing happen quite a lot? That is the From Software experience, though, because I, yeah. I was just playing one of those quips before we started this podcast. I walk into a room, character runs from the wall behind me, just stabs me in the back. It's like, you absolute piece of shit cunt. Why did you do this to me? Is, um I wonder if you were to pick this up as a quest to beat Elden Ring, is this your equivalent of the way that like my initial motivation in beating Cuphead was because it's a Mark Robinson game and it makes it less special that Mark beat it if I could beat Cuphead. And this is like <laughs> you you and Sean McGee's version of that. It's yeah, like, like if, oh, if this McGee, here... McGee, if I can beat Elden Ring, these games ain't shit. <laughs> yep. If if this fucking emo kid here who loves Life is Strange and Pokemon can be Elden Ring, no, I it I mean there's an element of that of course, but I just I I want to be a part of what everyone is saying is gonna be one of the game of the year contenders, but yeah. I kind of wanted to ask whether or not it would it would work for me. Like I'm really nervous. I don't want to like buy a game and then play it a few times and then never play it again out of resentment because I'm just not good enough at Here, it. Like that. Here's um 
an, another angle to come at for an appeal for you because whatever about how much I end up playing this game like I showed you on the screen there I bought it and partly yeah. the motivation well, well part part of the motivation is that it's a fantasy ass fantasy world and I was like this is the kind of like you know I was close to getting on board with the Lovecraftian shit in Bloodborne uh, now this is this is the one where I'm like okay I'm going to give this a proper go because I love the feel of this world um, but the other angle I'm looking at it for you from is that selfishly getting weekly updates from you on here will be tremendous content. <laughs> like yeah, even I mean, if you me, yeah. even if you absolutely suffer through it, <laughs> like worse than I did with Cuphead, think of the audio, Jack. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, I hear like at the start of the game, you're in kind of a sort of standard you know, Soulsborne castle and you you know, you have to get through that section. Um my main my main scare and I don't know how long that section is, Garrett, or how difficult it is to negotiate, but my main scare is I can't even get past that, in which case the audio will be abysmal. Because <laughs> I'll just be like It's it's only a tutorial. You'll be fine. Oh. There is a scripted boss death immediately just to teach you who's boss. Yeah. It's like the game is like, oh you have to die to this boss just so you can actually get the game all started. Just just so you know what's it's, happening yeah, here. It's like at the start uh, like I can't speak for all the other games but i know at the start of bloodborne like you get attacked before you have uh, like by like a a wolf or something before you even have any weapons in your hand and like, like technically you could beat this thing but it's it's set up so that you will die so that it can explain to you the hunter's dream in that so like the thing that again like it's not like for like with cuphead by any stretch of the imagination but in terms of just like changing your mentality about what death means in a video game that was the moment the turning point for me with cuphead was to realize that when you die in a game like cuphead and same with soulsborne games you die for good. you die <laughs> yeah you die in real life you die in the matrix oh, no. um no it's that you die to learn in these games like it yeah we grow up with like the vast majority of games you're you're like the way they work is that death is a failure to like complete your objectives or whatever like that but soulsborne games cuphead boss rush type games are set up so that you will learn they are fair enough to learn why you died so that you can you know improve workout patterns and things like that so it's more about flicking that switch in your head that just getting beaten by a boss and dying isn't like this kind of, oh, fuck. It's like, right, what have I learned from this? I will be better next time. Yeah. We I, go again. I, I, I do think I have that attitude, Dave. Like, when I die in a game, I do feel like, ah, oh, shit. You know, this is this is an ultimate failure. You know, for like the one or two times like a Metal Gear Solid boss will get me or something, I'm like, yeah. ah, shit. You know, and you always figure out strategies fairly yeah. quickly there. But I, f- I feel like the strategies required yeah. in this, uh, uh, they, they obviously require you to get the shit kicked out of you multiple times. Yeah. You, unless you're like a veteran of this yeah. shit. I you guess. are not expected to like beat a boss anywhere close to your first time in yep. these type of games. Um, and if you ever do, it feels so goddamn fucking, good. I, like a third time we mentioned on the show, but fucking was it? Was it Barry beat Father Gascoigne? He he beat him first go. 
Mm, he beat one of the bosses yeah. first goes anyway yeah the, one of the ones everyone was yeah. like oh this is the tough and then he just strolled in and beat I it i think it was either father gascoigne or the cleric beast and it's like it's one of the ones that everybody hates and blood but we're like like they love the boss design but in terms of like this fucking kicked my ass fuck it barry beats it first time on stream i was like god motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> um the whole point is watching him suffer yeah yeah that's why I, I tuned in every week live for Mario Sunshine with him. He suffered more in that than he ever did in Bloodborne. Um, I think Mario Sunshine is probably harder than Bloodborne in, in some places. ways. Yeah, probably. It's, like, yeah, it's less reasonable. That's yeah. for sure. It'll like but, um, you miles away from where you were, even just to get back into one of those platforming sections. I think it'll be fun if the two of us have a pact to try and get through it. Not like necessarily a race to who gets through it first. Because, you know, it'll be like me and Niner with um, with Cuphead originally, where he was nearly finished it when I started it, and it was the camaraderie that got us through. If we can be each other's support network and give it a proper go, yep. um, I, I, I'm willing to, to commit to that. You know what I mean? And it, it, the game does have that Breath of the Wild thing where there there is a new thing in every direction. Yeah. Like every single direction. I guess so. If you're going somewhere and you're stuck, and you can fast travel at any time to any point in the map, yeah. it's it's more modern than a lot of the Souls games. You don't have to go to a fast travel point. You can just open your map and you can fast travel to any of your fast travel points. Mm. So it's 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 more it is more approachable. Not in the ways it's not easier. I I don't think unless you literally grinded the whole game so you just rocked through and just murdered everything immediately like you will die a lot it still has that from software level like kind of design it still has that from software combat it still has those from software bosses that will kill you will kick your ass you'll die but I I think as said because it's open world you can just go somewhere else the the thing I always use when I uh, talk to people who don't know what FromSoft games are like I always uh, use the anecdote that in Dark Souls 2, there is a trophy that you get the first time you die, and the trophy is called, This is Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that is... When you get into your head that that is the mentality of these games, then I think it makes it a bit easier when you can, like, yeah. not chastise yourself for the failure. It's funny because in some ways, like, I mentioned how, like... You know, this doesn't seem like Mark's flavor of game, but in some ways it feels very much like a Mark Robinson game because like he plays games that I view as actively punishing and masochistic to play like the Super Beat Boys and shit like that. Um, So I don't see it as being a million miles, like obviously mechanically it's a million miles off, but in terms of like (laughs) the emotions that are that come up playing these games, (laughs) I don't see it as being a million miles off. Um. So yeah, I think this will be uh, an Elden Ring progress report. We'll have to do a segment every, uh, if we're going to do this. I yeah, I I just I I I'm worried. <laughs> I, I I believe in you. Yeah, Jack. I I believe in I, you because I want to I want to be that guy who can go. You know what? I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna play this game, but I also don't want to be that guy that just falls off a cliff. Yeah. Um, with this game, because um, it if it makes you feel better, that fight in Pokemon is harder than anything I've experienced in Elden Ring so far. That does. So if you can do that, yeah. Because like, when you said Garrett, there's a new thing in every direction. One uh, on on Breath of the Wild. The best thing about that is vibes. You know, like when you yeah. find a sort of like a kind of half broken the temple or a church or like you know just like an awesome area of woodland or something. And like, there's a few things in there that like might give you a little bit of chip, but nothing really. 
I, I don't like the, the, the constant anxiety of thinking, oh, that thing over there looks so awesome, and I get halfway there and, like, a giant dragon just, like, steps yeah, You on will me. walk into the woods and be like, ooh, cool, mysterious woods, and then you'll see the giant bear. And when I say giant bear, I mean giant bear. Oh. And you're like, oh, no. By the I- way, are you guys familiar with Hank the Tank? Yes. <laughs> Maybe that is, that is Hank the Tank. <laughs> that is the greatest um, content on the internet um, right now. Hank there's, Hank stories. As a final thing on Elden Ring, there is like a small part of my brain that's like, if Jack gets the other side of this, persuading him to actually do Cuphead will be much easier. <laughs> Possibly. Because <laughs> motherfucker, if you be if you can beat or get deep into a FromSoft game, I'll hear none of this. I won't be able to play Cuphead nonsense anymore because, like. You like you will in like <laughs> you know I I'm not gonna retread old ground on how much you'll enjoy Cuphead if you can get into the mode like I did that when I finally gave it a go, but uh yeah I'm excited now we kind of have each other to egg each other on on this yeah I I I just thought like I'd I'd rather than launch straight into Horizon I was like you know what should I try and play Elden Ring just yeah. to see because that, you can't ignore that universal praise yeah. like one of the best reviewed games ever number right. two of all time yeah when it you came out you can't ignore that like that is and like I know that the people that love these games love these games, right? I, I honestly I really enjoy whenever we have Sean on and he talks about how much he loves these games because whenever I hear people that are passionate about stuff, like it gets me invested in not even necessarily the thing, but like just how much they love it and I, I, I kind of really can connect with them. He's gonna um, be so proud of us. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. I'd imagine if he is listening to this right now, he's probably playing Elden Ring while while this is while this is happening, kind of in the background. But uh, yeah, I like I'll... I literally I checked my Twitter feed uh, a few minutes ago, and the first in case you've missed a tweet I saw was Sean McGee. Elden Ring is so good, lads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Um, so I I'm going to try tentatively yeah. and, and play I, Elden Ring. I think we should say for people's expectations, I don't think either of us are going to rush through this. I think we're going to take our sweet time with it. So don't expect... <laughs> this like, might be the rest of my year. <laughs> yeah. So, like, because I think this is going to be one that if I really start getting frustrated with it, I'm going to be rotating it on and off with a game that I find pleasant. <laughs> so, you yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah, yep, for sure. Um, which which I think I might. That's why I might dual star Oli Oli World as well because I do have that also waiting on my Switch to go. But um, yeah, holy shit, I was not. I don't think I was necessarily blindsided by how good the Elden Ring reviews were. Yeah. But I think they really crystallised this. Like I, this you should invest some time in at least trying to experience this I, with your own hands as well, rather than I'm just going watching to, YouTube. I'm gonna put his name in the mud here again, but. You know how I knew it was going to get such universal praise? Uh, when friend of the show Matt Niner said it wasn't on Twitter. Ah, uh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our good friend Matt Niner, we love him to death, but he is the predictions albatross. Pretty much. I, like, if I had seen earlier in the day that he predicted it wasn't going to get reviewed as well as Bloodborne, I would have put my entire house on it being rated Best game of all time. Yeah. It was a mortal lock to get a higher rating than Bloodborne, and so it came to pass. Yep, yep. Um, right, anyway, let's move on into the news. Um interesting one here from the start this like uh this harkens back to another game from which uh fog was removed but the uh the switch version of ocarina of time has re-added fog um i haven't actually played any of the n64 stuff on switch i'm feeling the leading contender to have tried it out for perhaps no more than 15 minutes might be garrett 
yes, if you're right about the time I played, I spent playing it too. <laughs> oh, the carrot method. Like, I dabbled. I played a little more of um, Paper Mario, but I played that for like an hour or two, and I might come back to because I never played the original Paper uh, Mario. It's world class. I love that game. Yeah, but I, I, I'm on record thinking people's nostalgia for Fog is quite silly, but listen, it's back. Yeah, the, uh, the, the one that I always, like, usually, yeah, I, I'm with you on the f- nostalgia for Fog, but the one in which I absolutely took exception to Fog removal was the Silent Hill HD collection. Whereas, like, well, games where, where, like Fog is legitimately <laughs> it's, it's, atmosphere, yeah. and there's games where it's like, we can't render yeah. the draw distance, that's why the fog without is there. Silent, without fog, Silent Hill is just like sort of Resident Evil, really, isn't it? If, if that, because it's not as like combat focused. <laughs> oh, so dear. it's like, it's a huge part of the atmosphere is not being able to see in your hand in front of your face. Uh, in that, like, obviously you know the reason it was actually put in is technical limitations but it worked so well this just kind of rem- like you said Garrett fog discourse was a big thing for a while when HD remakes started being a thing um and obviously you know you remove the fog and it shows the seams of the game um in your 15 minute experience was the did you play pre uh, HD fog or post HD fog <laughs> I played pre-Fog and I thought it looked fine. You bunch of nerds yet being like, <laughs> add the fog to my video game. It looks fine. Get over yourself. But listen, it does say there are things you can shout at Nintendo about loud enough that they will fix. Yeah. They're not a complete black box. They will occasionally be like, fine, we'll give you your fog. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it's like, I, I always, it's kind of like semi-related to what we were talking about with the the Mario 3D All-Stars thing is like how much do you want to ride the genuine recreation of the old game because like that came out and Nintendo got like buried for you didn't fucking touch these things (laughs) do you know what I mean you didn't you did fuck all quality of life improvements to uh Super Mario 64 like you made things a little bit sharper the uh aspect ratio well they made it widescreen they made it widescreen uh but like in terms of like you know go seeing that thing up you did fuck all um it's still Mario Sunshine yeah <laughs> whereas the suffering it whereas like here you know they they do something they take out the fog they kind of like sharpen things to make it less obvious maybe that the the fog has been taken out that you're not hiding things and people go ballistic about that um yeah i i kind of lean on your side of things at this one garrett like it's not like the whole it's not like when everybody was raving about Ocarina of Time being one of the best games ever in the 90s everyone was like that fucking fog though wow <laughs> that's real <laughs> That's the shit, That's man. A, the thing that like drove me a little mad was people being like, these are badly emulated because they don't have fog. And they're like, it's like, they're not. They're still like 99.89% of the game that people gave one of the best games of all time. Missing some fog. That, as I mentioned, if you didn't play the original, you played this, no one would notice. No one would be like, oh, that looks bad. Yeah. Everyone would be like, that's just what the game looks like. Do you know like. what they should do but- just to be trolls is they should add shitloads of fog to the water temple and be like, yeah, complete it now, fucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, fi- we fixed what you said. Everybody hated the water temple, so we have now revealed the fog temple. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Eat shit, yeah. fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine they just turned all the water to fog. There you go. Have some of this. Hey guys, I know you were thinking, what's that quiet little company Activision Blizzard up to? Well, I've got a little bit of an update here. Uh, Activision Blizzard being sued by their own shareholders over the Microsoft buyout, as is the board of directors. So, 
Uh, just to keep everyone up to date, more lawsuits have been filed against Activision Blizzard, this time by two of its shareholders. This is coming from Eurogamer. Uh, the first lawsuit was filed by Kyle Watson in California. In this lawsuit, Watson claims that the planned acquisition of Activision by Microsoft is unfair for a number of reasons, according to Watson's lawyers. One of these reasons is the board is hoping to procure for themselves and senior management significant and immediate benefits. Uh, in addition to this, the lawsuit states that Microsoft's acquisition plans were not in Activision Blizzard's best interest, nor uh, that of Kyle Watson's and their fellow shareholders. Um Watson shouldn't the shareholders be delighted though that they're being like the, that they're being acquired by a company uh, that isn't as much of a trash fire as and that they're, they're being paid significantly above the current value of the shares to do so mm. shouldn't shareholders be like you know though this is a pretty Especially good deal after you think the about last it. year they've had you know what I mean um I I wonder if like Bobby Kotick was. And the reason why he was still CEO is he was making so much dividend money for these shareholders in the way that he was running the company before that they might actually, like, the shares might be more valuable, but the dividends that they get for said shares may go down significantly now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be it. I'm, I'm not the, sure, though. The... Um... Subsequent to this, then, this is the the newest part of the story. Uh, subsequent to that lawsuit, uh, shareholder Shiva Stein filed their own lawsuit against Activision Blizzard and its board earlier that day. Um, that this was reported. The lawsuit is similar of that to Watson's. However, Polygon states that Stein is one of the most prolific securities plaintiffs in the United States and they have filed 124 securities lawsuits from 2018 to 2020. <laughs> Half of those have been voluntarily dismissed. In addition to the above lawsuits, uh, Activision Blizzard is ac- currently undergoing investigations following numerous allegations of sexual misconduct and workplace abuse. The thing that's kind of like, you know... Um, particularly i don't know funny is the word but interesting about this story is you've got like multiple shareholders filing filing lawsuits about how unfair this is and yet something that to me from a mile off this whole deal this whole acquisition screams antitrust violation and yet (laughs) yeah u.s government doesn't seem to be too particularly fucking pushed about that at the moment and the other thing that came out in the last couple of weeks is when they there's a bunch of SEC filings for this acquisition. It did in fact come out that like Microsoft bought them in the wake of the allegations. Like they they, they yeah. called uh, Activision a day later, set up the meeting with Microsoft two days later after all the, the the stuff came out about the workplace abuse. Yeah, and that's where the negotiations came. And then they they kind of went through staggeringly quickly when you yeah. think about it. Because I, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I thought they were already in negotiations long before all of that stuff actually came out. Yeah. It's like no, it, it's Phil Spencer called them the day after it came out and set in motion the which acquisition, is, which is scummy. But uh, like you know. If you're to try and take any, like, if you if you look at it from the cold, emotionless business perspective, like, that's the shark thing to do is, like, there's, there's yeah. blood in the water. Smart. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Disgusting. Yeah, the morals smart. of it are all over the shop awful. But, yeah, yeah the, the business part of it is just, like, it's so grim and coldly mechanical that you're just like, yeah, of course they'd do that then. Yep. Wait till you the know. share price crashes, the whole thing's a shambles. Yeah, then and I... you want to get in as quickly as possible before they have enough chance to somehow, if they could r- have wriggled out of... like, Or the, like if Bobby Kotick had gone, then maybe the share price might have, I don't know, yeah. gone up or yeah. whatever. If, who knows? But yeah, that, that now makes a lot of sense why it's like an antitrust violation, because they must know that. 
um, not sorry, antitrust violation, or why they the the shareholders are suing them. They must have known that, and it wasn't in the best interest of the company to sell at that point. It was they were better off waiting it out, I guess, rather than uh, immediately turfing themselves over to Microsoft. I do think, as illustrated in this article itself, that a lot of these are nuisance suits. That a lot of them are just fishing for any potential. How can we make a buck off this? At least get a better payday for ourselves. So we'll file a lawsuit and maybe we'll get this mister settled, or maybe we'll get better terms for ourselves. And it's it's fishing, I think, more than anything else. Yeah. Do you know? I I this is a complete sidebar, and I promise it'll be a short one. I was listening to uh one of Steve-O's podcasts. Um, you know, with one of the ex Jackass crew. Great podcast. Great podcast, and he said that a guy whose actual name was Jack Ass sued Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> he said like it was immediately dismissed out of court. Like they sat one session and they chucked it out. But I just love the idea that like your name is Jack Ass, which is a ridiculous goddamn name anyway. A show comes out that if anything pushes you down the Google search front, so people don't see your ridic- ridiculous name as much, um, and then you decide to sue Jackass. I mean, um, unbelievable. You you couldn't warrant it, but it is actually true. Yeah. Uh here's one that i think we've all been expecting all wondering when this was going to drop so playstation plus's project spartacus overhaul is pretty close to launching um it's going to feature essential extra and premium tiers this is the long rumored game pass competitor service that's going to roll uh ps now into ps plus it's going to be multi-tiered it's going to have uh previous gen stuff i think uh i can't remember i'm assuming ps1 but definitely ps2 and ps3 i was seeing people talk about on twitter the premium has not only ps1 2 and 3 games but psp games as well which is pretty cool um so i guess like obviously um it won't come as a great big shock to anybody listening to this that we're big fans of game pass um and that we have had good fun making fun of Nintendo's uniquely att- Nintendo approach to the uh their virtual console stuff this generation and their subscription model. Um, Sony are going to take all the fog out of this. Yeah, where what are we thinking about Project Spartacus? Like I know I'm I'm l- looking at this just going this would want to be pretty fucking good for me to sign on at like an essential tier level or the premium tier. Yeah, um, it's gonna need headline oh, yeah. fucking content, don't you think? When it launches, yeah. Like here are the these other thing as well. Tent poles. The other thing, the thing that like because it's integrating PS Now into it, the other thing that would be a big red flag to me and go a uh, go away heat for it would be if the games on it are through the cloud that they're streaming and that you're not downloading them locally. Yeah. That would be a massive mistake. I don't think PlayStation would make that mistake. Like, well, if even that is their X- PS Now service is that. And yes. that's why when they say they're rolling in the PS Now stuff, I'm like, oh, are they going to keep? Because if you remember, they paid a fucking enormous amount of money to acquire that cloud gaming company that they, they built PS Now around. Yep. So I'm wondering, are they going to just go, you know, let's not chase good money with bad let's abandon the streaming thing for now um and do this like game pass does or are they going to double dune yeah i don't think they're gonna i think they're gonna back down i don't think they're gonna double down um on this one because it's one of the things about game pass that people like so surely if you're trying to make a game pass competitor 
you want to at least ape the things that the other service does that you don't have to pay some sort of copyright charge to do right mm. and we already have you know ps plus games that you can download and have as a ps plus user so they really just need a clever way to integrate that whole thing the fact that ps now and ps plus is separate things i've always thought was a massive mistake I always feel like, you know, you should they should just offer a thing a bit like I said with Apple earlier, where you get like Apple Music and Apple Video and like the Apple Fitness and all of that shit. You can get that all in for one price. There needs to be an under one roof price for PlayStation Now and or whatever the new version is, the Spartacus version, whatever it may end up being called, and PS Plus. It it just all needs to be one thing and the confusion needs to go away. And it needs to be something that you kind of buy a console and you can get like six months to a year or something of it with when you buy the console. So you have like an immediate, the immediate game collection thing is like the real big selling point. And if they get like the old school PlayStation, you know, properties and titles that people really want to have, like from, especially from the PS2 era, I think that is the one era that has been neglected almost um, because, you know, you only could play the PS2 games on a very specific type of PlayStation 3. And then I don't think I don't think PS4s or PS5s have been able to play, play PS2 games, right? So mm. having the interaction with them on this current level would be pretty great. Because I think, yeah, I think it's what people, you know, that nostalgia trip. Um, and they're bound to have some massive bang for the buck properties in there. But they need to really pull out the stops when they make this announcement here if they want people to jump onto this, I think. Yeah. And like the, the games that are included is the interesting question because pre-PS4, the vast, vast majority of Sony's heavy hitters are third-party games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, if they don't have Capcom or Square with Resident Evil or Final Fantasy or Rockstar with some of the early GTA games, or, or you know, the games that are iconic are Crash, which is now owned by Microsoft, so they won't. Well, will be owned by Microsoft. If they, if they don't have those iconic games, like they'll have like Gran Turismo, which is cool, I guess, and they'll have the, the kind of PS3 generation onwards, which is when they more double down on their own first party games. They'll have all those, I'd imagine, but without the without the third party support, I'd be interested to see what this looks like. And also without new first party games, which I assume they it won't have. Yeah. This doesn't seem like they're going to do uh an xbox and just be like fuck it everything is going on the service day one no extra charge like if they'd yeah, launched I, it I, this I week and been like God of war ragnarok on this it's been like, like gran turismo is on here like the new gran turismo like that would have been a, a gut punch like opener i do think that they need the cool stuff in the past to launch it with but it would be awesome if they launched it with like a yep fuck like not it's not going to happen ragnarok but something like that or a gran turismo or like a big playstation franchise that just punches you in the face and says if you want this new thing it's 15 quid a month or whatever and you get this game from day one and then people will jump on right yeah i suppose the other thing as well is like so xbox have like microsoft have like acquired so many studios at this point that like they're really going to in the next like year or two that the benefits of having that Game Pass servers are going to increase immensely because all these new games are going to be coming out, massive games, day one on Game Pass. You know, all these Bethesda games, all these first-party studios, all these, you know, sort of, like, halfway between first and third-party stuff as well. Whereas, um, I look at Sony and I think, like, really, they have... 
their tentpole first party releases are, are relatively few and far between uh, as well. Like their big kind of events almost when they do come out is that like, for me, I wonder from their point of view, is it even worth like putting them on the service? Yeah, it's a nice bonus, but they do, like the Sony first party stuff doesn't come out at a rate where you're just like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, this is incredible. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I guess, like, because Microsoft have bought so many friggin' properties at this point, it's a lot easier for them to do that than, than Sony, I suppose. Mm. And they have, like, they now have, like, a deep well of classic games that does rival Nintendo. Yeah. Like, Nintendo have the Mario's yeah. and Zelda's and, and Pokemon's and all that they can throw on these. And now, if they, the Activision deal does go through, they have all the Crash games and all the Spyro games yeah. and all Skyrim and all the Tesla stuff. They have they, a ton of stuff they, that they can fill that service they've with. They've, like, bought the history that they don't have themselves from being the late comer to the console game. Yeah, and then you look at Sony, it's like, well, you don't even have Tomb Raider, which yeah. is, like, you're one of your iconic PS1, PS2 franchises, and, like, you'd have to talk to Square about that. Mm-hmm. It's uh yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Again, it's very much like I am nowhere near being like, oh yeah, day one going up to premium on this. Um and like even I I'd like to think that, you know, the last while uh PS plus, the the games that come with PS plus have been fucking weak sauce. You know, you, I, I, that's that's how you can tell this thing is close to happening because PS Plus has been absolutely yeah, dire. That's that's what I'm like, I'm really hoping that like when this thing comes out, it's real. This is the shit we were holding back from PS Plus. You know, here's an absolute fuck ton of stuff that's really cool that you want to play. Um, and I hope it's just not reflective of them just kind of being like, oh, fuck, what's the point of even competing with Game Pass? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, interesting one. Uh, I, I can't wait to, like, once the, the library is out there in the open as to what comes with it. Uh, for us to dig through that on the show. Um, do you know what? With that, I'm going to turn over to uh, the the host of Pokemon Corner, Jack Lazell, <laughs> for a double barrel of uh, Pokemon news. Yeah. Um. So I guess do people do people know that it's it's Pokemon Day on Sunday? What do we think? What what would your average knowledge of of, of Pokemon Day be? Who doesn't mark Pokemon Day in their calendar? Yeah. Look, again, I was more aware this week of the anniversary of Homer at the Bath than I was of Pokemon Day, so... <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Um, So, there's going to be a Pokemon Presents, which is essentially a Pokemon version of the Nintendo Direct, which we've had before. A new one on Sunday. They've been kind of teasing bits and pieces this week. Um, So... I think Sunday is the anniversary of Red and Green coming out in Japan. So they are going to chuck down some bits and pieces. We've had announcements for like Pokemon Cafe Mix. We've had announcements for, for Pokemon Unite. Um, there's been like a Pokemon uh, music uh, thing announced today. Uh, and there's like a big Pokemon Go announcement tomorrow, which is also the Johto tour tomorrow and um to be really awesome about it I'm actually going out to play with my friend who's called Ash um oh. so I will be journeying around catching the Pokemon Johto uh with with a person called Ash and and if you're asking I consider myself more of a Misty than a Brock just just so everyone knows mainly because I want that Togekiss to evolve from my Togepi that I'm carrying around for most of the freaking series right Garrett knows exactly what I'm talking about hell yeah yeah so 
there's going to be announcements. Um, we've had the little bits and pieces, but I think what will be really interesting is having seen all of the reaction that the Legends of Arceus has had so far. Do they announce some sort of like DLC or expansion or bits and pieces that go on additional to that? Do we think on Sunday? I you'd have to think they do, right? Yeah. I, because I, when you when you look at the the Pokemon release calendar since Switch came out, I don't think there's anything in 2017. Then 2018 was Let's Go, 2019 was Sword and Shield, 2020 was the Sword and Shield DLC, 2022 was Brilliant Time and Shining Pearl. There's Pokemon Snap in there too. Or 2021 was Brilliant Time and Shining yep. Pearl, and then this is the start of 2022. If I were to guess what's the end of year Pokemon thing, I I think it is Arceus DLC over something like a new Let's Go game. Yep. And you want- people are like, maybe we'll get Gen 9. It's like, pal, not a hope. No way. Um, I think they need to, if they were planning to do Gen 9 in that original style, they now just need to rip it up and make Gen 9 like like Legends of Arceus style. Or like not necessarily as as faithful to that. And, you know, like I wouldn't want it to be kind of oldie worldy stuff, but like a more modern version of, uh, of Legends of Arceus, like a blend of the wild areas from uh sword and shield and and what they did with legends of arceus i think would... yeah, basically like a town a wild area a town a wild area i think is the formula precisely yeah and towns that kind of mean something uh i think yeah i i i kind of just it would be very odd if they didn't have something sizable with all of the bits and pieces that they've been teasing this week um in this in this pokemon presents um do we get i don't know unless they sort of go oh you know the company that made uh income who made uh the the brilliant diamond and shining pearl was like they're gonna remake black and white uh, i don't think people would be particularly happy with that <laughs> so i think um the only other thing could be detective pikachu 2 which yes has been in development for a while now it has indeed i i do think that we'll probably get some sort of news on on detective pikachu 2 and of course, Pokemon Sleep, the, the most important Pokemon game that hasn't released yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we probably get an announcement about that. I, I can't say I'm particularly enthused about that, really. Um, I, 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 as much as Dave would probably think that I'm lying about this, I don't think about Pokemon when I'm sleeping. Um, uh, you don't count Mareep to fall asleep? I, I, I do not count Mareep <laughs> or any any other. Uh, Wooloo as well is another sheep-based Pokemon that I could count. Um, so... Yeah, I I'm I'm excited to see what they they talk about on Sunday with this Pokemon Direct because I do think that you know it's the first time that they have maybe a bit more attention and a bit more of the like the good faith of the the video game world for for being something new like a a lot of kind of just hardcore Pokemon nerds like me will watch these directs and get excited about the new Pokemon game and everyone will just assume it's the same thing but yeah be interested to see if the, if it is DLC for Arceus what direction they take it in whether there's like whole new areas and whole new mission threads or whether it is just like a you know here's a new area to explore and like 50 new Pokemon which is kind of the sword and shield dlc there's like maybe a few hours of stuff but most of it is just new pokemon you can catch which is was kind of meh in the end i thought mm. yeah um final story is that this week a single pokemon card sold for nearly one million dollars which is very dr evil um, which is breaking the record for the most expensive sale of a Pokemon card ever. So it was a high-graded version of the rare Pikachu Illustrator card, and it was auctioned off 
uh, for 900k this week, which is yeah breaking breaking the previous rule um, rule by a big margin. I think it was 375,000 pounds. Um, the uh, dollars, sorry, the last time a Pikachu Illustrator card was sold, and there's a graded version of the Shadowless First Edition base set Charizard, which also sold for three hundred and sixty-nine thousand dollars. Nice, um, guys, this is insane. And um, obviously, we talked about kind of Beanie Babies and collections and bits and pieces uh earlier in the show, but. Did you, A, collect Pokemon cards when you were in school or trade Pokemon cards or anything like that? And if not, was there like a weird, uh, massive collector's item type thing that everyone was really infused about when you were at school? Uh, sort of yes to both. Um, yeah. I collected a lot of the Gen 1 Pokemon cards and then kind of like... I don't know if aged out of it is the right word because I was still into Pokemon, but the card collection thing, I just kind of lost the graw for when I made the move over to secondary school. So I literally just gave my gigantic folder of Pokemon cards to my cousin and never thought about them again. And oh, I no. don't want How to. How much did you just give away? Again, I don't want to uh, think about it on the off chance that there wa- there uh, there is or was some value to it. Dave, um, there is the fact that you had them in a folder as well means they yeah. were probably in decent nick oh yeah 100 i've got i've got the complete first base set of pokemon cards and i mm. know i i don't know how great the condition is I, if i would have it graded but i yeah. know that i'm probably sitting on thousands of pounds right there i still have my original pokemon cards too because i was um like prime age for multiple of the, the those crazes running through school yeah. which did start with pokemon because I, I was born in 92 so pokemon would have come out in like yeah when I was around six, seven, uh, when it was like at the peak of its popularity. So that is like prime dumb kid age. And then after that came Yu-Gi-Oh! And then I caught the tail end of Beyblade. I was going to say, were you on the pro Beyblade circuit? Just like, that was like my sixth class thing caught on just as I was uh, was leaving uh, primary school. Beyblade was the thing and people were in their little Beyblade circles doing their Beyblade battles, pulling their Beyblade cords. So I don't know if... um... I know I've said this on a podcast before. I don't know if it's this one, but the weird collector's item in my school, in primary school, pre-Pokemon um, cards being a big thing, was call cards. Um, I don't know how much you remember that, like, you know, pay phones, back in the day, physical pay phones that you'd have out in the town, you could pay for them with coins, you could have these prepaid call cards that looked like credit cards. They had the little chip on them that yeah. you preloaded with credits. And in, I don't know how much variance you would get on the ones in the UK, but the the Telecom Aaron ones that you would get here had a massive amount, like they'd use the bottom two thirds of the thing, like it would have Telecom Aaron call card on a strip on the top. Then the rest of it was all space for like cool artwork or some company they'd done an advertising deal with, or, you know, you used to get like, you'd go into a, this takes me back, uh, before it was Tesco over here, it was called Quinsworth. You'd go into a Quinsworth and it'd be like, if you get X amount of packs of this, you'll get a this brand themed call card with it as well. Um, it used to be a bit of mine as a child when obviously my parents are much older than me, so they would constantly call it Quinsworth after it we rented a Tesco. Yeah. And me being the pedantic, annoying child that I was, I would always sit, it's not called Quinsworth, it's called Tesco. <laughs> yeah, I'm at the like, I... Quinsworth is just about in living memory to me by a couple of years. Like I, uh, I was, I was, I was maybe <laughs> seven when it became Tesco over here. 
I was really excited whenever I got to go to Quinsworth and Shannon because there was like fucking nothing in Shannon back then, right? Yeah. It was like a big Quinsworth. Oh, it's not a... changed that much. No, uh, no, <laughs> but they have a subway. Last time yeah. I was there, they had a subway because um, I walked into the Shannon shopping center and it just smelled like meatball marinara. And I was like, wow, this place has changed. But yeah, they had a, a Quinsworth supermarket, a Supermac and, oh, uh, yeah. and, and, and a pub um and a sports shop and that was pretty much the town what what more uh, do you need mate sorry you've just listed all the essentials it's pretty much bang on all you're missing is a bookies and that's that's it then i mean that probably was one of those but my granddad never took me in the bookies Ah, (laughs) okay uh, well that is yeah (laughs) a lot of irish children would have been brought into the the bookies and sat (laughs) there um yeah, so the call cards was a thing, and I don't remember, I, I don't know if, if it was uh, a thing, like an urban legend in England, like it was in Ireland. Garrett, do you remember the thing people used to say about, like, if you wrapped a call card in tinfoil and put it in the freezer, um, it would, the, the credits would refill on it? No, <laughs> this, I like because I was slightly too young for yeah. call cards, because I, I remember them, but I never, like, obviously they were never yeah. in, like, my school or this was This was an urban legend, did not work. Um, how many times did you try it i didn't try it but it was like then how do you know it didn't work it was was like yeah it was one of those (laughs) things that was it was like an urban legend a bunch of people in the school tried it and they were like oh that was a fucking waste of time wasn't it (laughs) but like i remember the why wrap it in tinfoil yeah it's it's not as cruel as the people that were told oh you know if you want to get this thing on your uh on your electronic device you know, people on YouTube say you should go put it in the microwave and it will I, power it up. And, and you know what? I suppose in that, like, you're when you're at that age, these things seem semi-plausible. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I, I completely believe that at that age, I'd be like, look, if that fucking urban legend about missing no in Pokemon Blue turned out to be true, Lord knows this po- this this call card thing seems like chump change by comparison to how weird that yeah. is. Kind of um, like Mew under the truck where, yes. where the SSN is yes. and shit like that yeah. to bring it back to Pokemon. Um, but yeah, I remember that the the chase call card, the the one that was the hardest one to find, um, was the Kit Kat call card. Oh, nice. And that was like the crowning achievement when I finally got one. Because I think you had to get some enormous... It was back in the day where you used to collect the coupons off the back of multi-packs and send away to get a thing. Oh, man. And that's, I believe, how you got the, the Kit Kat call card. You couldn't just walk into a shop or uh, just grab a call card, whatever other fucking ways you... I'd never actually bought a call card. <laughs> It's um, mad, isn't it? Yeah, I it's had like, a stack. I had a stack about like three or four inches thick of call cards that were bound by an elastic band that I like. I had, and you know, you'd trade, and uh, yeah, it was not as uh, not as expensive as what you gave away to your cousin. No, definitely not. <laughs> that did the 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 second hand uh, call card black market didn't rebound at any point. No, it it much like Beanie Babies, it crashed in flames. But I really, I kind of. I don't know if your cousin listens to this or interacts with any of the stuff that you do, but I really hope they're listening right now and they go and get them valued. And I would invite your cousin onto the show next week <laughs> to read out the <laughs> the fucking euro value of what you just handed over to them nope. at that age. I want to die without that knowledge. Thank you very much. <laughs> nope. Me and Garrett want to hear it. I don't know about you, Garrett. I need to hear that. Um, I want to I wanna know what my own Pokemon cards are worth because I still have a lot of them just sitting in a tin, just loose cards. So they're probably in like, like okay shaped because there was a tin surely they haven't 
been damaged by weather conditions or anything. Yeah, hopefully that'd, like, be, the, that'd be a fun skit for the Link to the Cast YouTube channel is like the three of us tried to go to a proper auctioneer's to get your Pokemon <laughs> cards values. Unleashing my like 20 year old Twix tin. which is used to have a bunch of Twixes just, and it's like, here's all my Pokemon cards, sir. Just kick it in the door, road dog style in the middle of a fine hey. art auction. <laughs> The other thing we did mention that was like a, a consistent to my childhood was football stickers. Oh yeah, yeah. collecting football stickers that was a constant. I they got they got banned in my school. Uh, like just trying to think of all the things that got banned in my school. Um, Power Ranger figures got banned in my school. Uh, like Pogs got banned in my school. Oh Pogs, yes. Yep. Uh, I was too old or too young for Pogs. I, oh my god, Pogs for upset. a hot minute there, like. And it, oh my god, when I think back of the things I had limited edition pogs of that you get, like if you got uh, multi packs of certain kinds of sweets. Yep. Did you have the uh, the short lived sci fi TV series Space Precinct? The Space Precinct pogs that came with like multi packs of Smarties or some shit? No, no, that I believe, is. Uh, yeah. I believe Space Precinct might have been a Scott Bakula vehicle. The best thing <laughs> was correctly. like. In the best thing in line with Pogs was like Chubba Chubs. So like whatever Chubba Chubs were sponsoring at the time, the uh, the the sort of lollipop slash sweet company, and they made these like really cool. I can't remember what the Pog that you throw to hit and flip the other Pogs is called, like the Slammer Pog or whatever the fuck that thing is called. I feel like Dave looked that up, um, like the main Pog because it was like wow. this cool like weird metal. Oh, thing. The Slammer. It is called the slammer. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I I don't know if that's the like official term for it or whatever, no, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was really like I had loads of those like metallic chubba chub slammer pogs, which were really cool. And then yeah, they I think they, there was just like loads of you know random like animation. I think I had some like Tom and Jerry pogs at some stage and just all sorts of things. You know dinosaurs, the uh, the the weird this, the weird sitcom where everyone is fucking dinosaurs. Yeah, I had. I had a oh, bunch of those. You mean, ah, it's real dinosaurs, that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the creepy baby dinosaur. Yeah, the creepy baby dinosaur, yeah. yeah. I, where I, the finale think... is where the meteor hit and they all died. They yeah. all died, yep. Yep, yep. I, I think I have that in pog form somewhere. Um, I could not tell you where that is. I wouldn't be able to lay my hands on it, but yeah. Uh, well, I, I I just remember going through all these phases in school. Yo-yos was a huge one as well, but I think yo-yos is cyclical excuse to pun because I I, I think they come back yeah. every now and then, don't they, yo-yos? Uh, yo-yos, uh, slinkies. Yeah, slinkies. Slinkies were never that huge, I guess, for they, me because... They weren't like a collector's thing, but everyone fucking had one. Everyone had one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, everyone had a Stretch Armstrong... Everyone had an etch a sketch. Like basically everything that you see in Toy Story um, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it is what people Every- genuinely had. Everyone had a fucking VTech yep. basic ass, like to help you do your multiplication tables, uh, fake yep. laptop. Yeah. I mean, this has been a like 90s uh, toys heavy podcast. And I'm loving I, it. I, I am not at all afraid of that. I'll tell you what, I I, 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 <laughs> I don't mean to derail things any further, but I'm going on a nostalgia trip here because I just looked up Space Precinct. Because I was <laughs> like, that was definitely a show, right? Well, you hear this shit, right? Firstly, I had no idea that show was British. I just assumed because it was like sci-fi and stuff like that. It's, pr- it's an American import. Space Precinct is a British television series that was broadcast from 94 to 95 on Sky 1 and later on BBC 2 from 95 to 96 and in first run syndication in the United States. The thing that absolutely blew my fucking mind is that it was a show created by Jerry Anderson. 
Wow, he of the puppetry fame. Yes, indeed. Captain Scarlet and yeah. uh, Thunderbirds and all of that. And one of the series directors, um, so one of the series directors was John Glenn, who the director of five James Bond films. Wow. Yeah. I'm, by the way, I'm looking through the cast and I don't know who any of these people are. Yeah. Yeah. There is that this is just full of nobodies. You, you know it's bad when on the Wikipedia page for the show, half of the main cast don't red. have Wikipedia pages. Yeah. <laughs> they have that like red text where it's yeah. like you should be able to click on this person, but they, they don't exist. Uh Garrett, were there any like again, it'd be interesting to see what were there any other things from the like the couple of years after we had been in the collectathon craze that were unique to, to your time period? No, I don't think so. I think Beyblade was the end of it for me, and then everyone grew up and pretended they were too cool for all that stuff. Were you you, Yu-Gi-Oh kids? So I was like, I finished primary school around the time Yu-Gi-Oh started airing in Ireland on the den. Because like Yu-Gi-Oh was like Pokemon level for a hot minute. Yeah, so it was, for me, it was, there there was like a a moment where it was like Yu-Gi-Oh started, but then on Toonami, Dragon Ball Z started. I was like, this is the one that it feels like I'm I'm a teenager now. Dragon Ball Z, it's fighting and shit. <laughs> look at all yeah. these muscles. Yeah, yeah. Look at them go and like screaming ah for like three episodes. I kind of <laughs> fell out of love with a lot of that shit as well because I I, I, I remember watching a couple of episodes of Digimon and aside from the <laughs> theme tune to Digimon, <laughs> I was like jank ass shit. Fuck this show, man. I'm sorry. I am to this fans. day a strong Digimon defender. I love Digimon. Yeah, I, but, I, I, like, I, Garrett, Garrett. Are, are you one of those nonsense people who tries to insist on online that uh, it's better than Pokemon? It is different. and The anime is better <laughs> than Pokemon. Uh, I will stand over that. Particularly the third season, Tamers, better than Pokemon. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there are parts of the Pokemon anime you can't really defend. Um, did Digimon ever give you a seizure? I'm guessing not. No. There you go. I think that's the bar we should hold to all children's entertainment. (laughs) Listen, there's a Digimon Tactics game out this year, Digimon Survive, which has been delayed like twice. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to Digimon Tactics. It's because they're like, wait, is is Garrett playing anything that week when it comes out? Can't believe we're fucking talking about Digimon on this show. Yeah, let's end the show quickly. What the fuck? Oh, the Digimon movie. I remember being so ripped off by the Digimon movie because, like, it's like, oh, it's an event. It's the Digimon movie. And it turns out it's just two, like, short films shoved together and tied together with some VO. It's absolute nonsense. That's what you deserve for getting invested in fucking Digimon, right? Wow. (laughs) You're crushing my childhood here, Dave. Let me tell you about how that one episode of Dragon Ball Z where Goku and Piccolo learn how to drive is better than the entire existence of Digimon. Yeah, but unlike <laughs> this is my TED Dragon talk. Ball, they, they they filled the episodes with the same Digivolution sequences five minutes every episode as opposed to people going, ah! <laughs> well, funnily enough, uh, every episode I watched of Digimon made me go, ah! the entire time I was watching it, so it's a wash, really. Guys, there's a Pokemon that can speak like a human. It's called Meowth. Yeah, there sure is. <laughs> That's right. There's a yeah. whole origin story about why he speaks like a human. It's a very good episode. Uh, it's yeah. a great episode. Yeah. And look, nothing will ever in Digimon, Dragon Ball Z, or anything else reach the emotional resonance of Bye Bye Butterfree. Oh my god. Don't know why we still made TV after that, honestly. Yeah, I know. That's it's like it up there, like the three traumatic events of my childhood and adolescence is Mufasa dying, Bye Bye Butterfree, and the um, the dog at the end of the episode of Futurama. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> the yeah. formative pillars of any childhood. Yeah, yeah, just absolute trauma. Uh, anyway, what about when Pikachu cried Ash back to life in the Pokemon movie? Not the same yeah. thing for you, no? <laughs> I, I tell you, there has been maybe no greater uh, difference in between my emotional state coming into a movie and coming out of a movie than Pokemon the first movie, where I'm like so hyped I might explode going in, and I come out I was like, man, that movie was kind of a bummer, wasn't it? Pretty but much. You got all- those cool Pokemon cards with it. Yeah, yeah, that did. was the only good thing about it, like a weird, like limited edition Mew. But pretty much every Pokemon movie ever is awful oh they're garbage they're so bad yep and ash meets a legendary in every one it's like motherfucker like no one's seen these These are meant to be legendary not like the same kid can't find them all i don't like that give me some other kids finding it anyway all right on that note this is a good point to end the show yeah on that note let's draw an end (laughs) to to this episode of the podcast thanks for listening in follow us at link to the cast on twitter if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing uh Individually, I'm at the day to Dave. Uh, the absent Mark, who should be returning next week, is at Lithium Project. Jack is at Jack Lazell. Garrett is at Garrett Kidney. Until next week, folks, stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Man, we were on some shit there.